Dorian? My brother. This is going to be a good one. Yeah. Um, this is a pretty important podcast in that it, it's going to go over the start of our fight in MMA team. We didn't know what we are getting ourselves into at the yes. very start between um, Louis Sim and the Matt Brown Science and a lot of interactions <laughs> in between. We were able to uh, put together what it is now, our MMA program for strength conditioning. Um, so it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, Thank you. I would like to start at your start. Okay. I don't think I've ever got into that to where, how did you end up in Muay Thai? Uh, like everyone else, I watched the Kung Fu movies and then uh, when Van Damme uh, was a kickboxer, come yeah. out and seen the Thai boxing and it was actually, uh, I was in uh, Virginia Beach at the time and I don't know if you remember Black Belt uh, Magazine. Yeah. And in the yeah. back of Black Belt Magazine, they had the Panther videos. You remember they had the things for the videos you could watch, the VHS tapes. And then, uh, so I saw one, and uh, this is back when Charlie Sheen had done the movie Navy Seals. So I was fascinated with two things, Navy Seals and, 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 and Van Damme Kickboxer. And there was a guy in there, uh, uh, Frank Cucci, and he had on his little rifle and everything. And he's like, I say, wow, man, this guy's a Navy SEAL. And he does martial arts. So I don't know what I was thinking was going to happen. And then so I saw that he had a school in Virginia Beach, right not too far uh, from where I was. So I was like, oh, I'm going there and check it out. So I went there. He was there. He had, there was a Thai guy there. He was teaching uh, Muay Thai. So I was like, this is cool. So I just started. That was, that was my journey into it. And then it was about 90, 1998. Uh, I actually went over to Thailand. Uh, as a kid, did, were you in martial arts? No, I was more in other sports, basketball, and I would uh, do a little bit like karate a little bit, but nothing of any any serious. Uh, and if I remember, like you went to OSU for business the whole... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a degree. Went, yep, yep. People don't realize that. No, and I remember when we were talking about... Um, what was it? Well, we're looking at how difficult it would it be to set up a fighting league and then you kept coming up with all these ideas and strategies and all this progressions i remember matt going like Dorian, why are you so fucking smart of this and you're like well i went to osu for business yeah we're like what <laughs> people don't know that <laughs> um what led you to virginia beach uh i went down there to uh actually go 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 uh go to school down there uh it took a year off so i went down there for a year just uh Kind of uh, work, hang out, and then I ended up going to uh, uh, school down there at uh, Hampton University. And then once I got in there, I was going to uh, – I actually was kind of okay at uh, football, but I decided okay. I didn't want to didn't want to play down uh, play down there. People don't believe this. There was a point where I ran a 4-3-40. <laughs> I know I, it may not seem that way, but I was very aerodynamic. <laughs> uh, uh, what position did you play? Uh, receiver and, and safety. I like to I like to just throw myself at people. I got you. Well, I was, that makes I was sense. a kamikaze, yeah. Kind of like my <laughs> fighting style. So when you went over to Thailand, yeah, what was that like stepping off the plane? Uh, very different, very different. Because this is back when the planes didn't even have TVs. So getting over there, uh, it was like. Uh, as a teenager, it was like a magical land. 
I mean, it was it was it was very different. It was kind of I would consider the, maybe the tail end of the golden era. Yeah. So I wasn't prepared for the the like. I was okay to get my ass whooped in the little, little venues, but nowhere was I prepared for, like, the big venues. Like, I actually went and watched Lumpini, which came in to play, went to Lumpini Stadium, the original, uh, to watch with a trainer, because I went outside of Bangkok. Yeah. And then uh, it kind of, uh, that'll come later in into my story about that experience in Lumpini. But I was looking, I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to fight here one day, but I just knew somehow I would. Did you have contacts going over there, or did you just turn up there and try to figure it out? Uh, I remember actually going to ask people in the kitchen staff, and like I had no contacts of what was going on over there. I was just like, hey, I got to go try this. Um, so where did you end up? Like what? Uh, what uh, I ended up in the Muay Thai Institute, and then I, and w which I think that's where they hold the uh, Rancic Stadium. Is that? Um, don't quote me on that. I'm not 100 percent sure, but uh, it was. Uh, and then just went to like other little gyms. Around. How, how long did you stay there for? Seven, about seven months. So then you get back here. Mm -hmm. Now, I might be wrong in this, but just from my own interest on the outside of the sport, is that it really did seem that Kevin Ross, Joe Schilling, Mr. Mark Beecher, and yourself were really the four horsemen of American And this guy, Sean Yarbrough. Nobody okay. gives Sean the credit. Yeah. Sean Yarbrough. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> how did all you guys find each other? Was it through fighting, or how did that all come well, about? Sean uh, and I actually were, I think I started a little bit before Sean in Virginia Beach. Okay. And um, he ended up moving to uh, Vegas. And I remember coming back... Uh, Years later, we were just visiting. I was down there, and we were hanging out. I forget why I ended up down there, but being from the East Coast anyway, I, I, somehow I ended up back there, and then we were hanging out again. And uh, he he was just like, well, why don't you come out to uh, come out to Vegas? You know, I'm out in Vegas because I didn't know what was, what was going on. Yeah, what I was doing. He was like, uh, I actually I think I was out here by then, and he was like, uh, well. Come out, come out to Vegas and uh, start training. That's when I went out there. I, you know, I took him up on the offer, and uh, he opened the door to uh, Master Toddy's with me, and that's when Kevin was there. Uh, Beecher had came a little bit later. Beecher was already doing his thing on the California scene, but he came a little later. Uh, Chaz Moki uh, came out there. Gina Carano was out there. Um, and, yeah, so Kevin and I, this is when Kevin was still a uh, – he was still amateur fighting smokers. And uh, so I stayed with Sean. So then I started just staying out there for a little bit. Um, and because uh, I actually took time off from OSU and then uh, went out there and uh, started uh, uh, living in the uh, in the gym with Kevin. We just started hitting us. <laughs> I was living in the gym with Kevin uh, uh, at uh, the old Master Tidy's gym. I think it was off of Rainbow. Was it? <laughs> I think it was Rainbow. I forget. In Vegas, yeah, we were living in the in the gym, went just Thai style. So Master Tidy's wife lived in the room. Uh, I think it was Master Ch uh, Master Lu Chang lived in another room. I lived in the room, and then Kevin <laughs> lived in the room. And then sometimes we would go over and hang out with Gina and stuff like that. But yeah, we just lived in the room. I had the rice cooker. It was like Thai style, so it was perfect. And that's how we. But Joe Schilling was always 
And the funny thing is, I've never actually met Joe in person. We 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 met in a show in Ohio once when I, when I was a uh, 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 long time ago when I was fighting, and then he went out and did his thing in California. But we actually never officially met. We just like mutual respect because of you know everything that he's done in the sport, yeah. and then all the guys we just all kind of know each other, just knowing one another, you know, just a respect thing. How important was that foundation to your development? Uh, oh, immensely important. I mean. Uh, just to be around guys like that, guys like Sean, uh, Kevin, just to see their work ethic and 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 uh, what they became. Because I, at the time, I think I was more advanced in terms of having more pro fights and all of them, more fights in general, because it really didn't have the amateur pro thing <laughs> when I was starting. Um, but just to see the the where those guys rose to. I mean, Sean became a, <clears throat> I think he won an Intercontinental uh, WBC champ. Um, believe world champ no quote me on that but i know you had a couple belts and obviously we all know what kevin uh ended up becoming uh even guys like chaz uh beecher but just to be around that much talent and and, and uh that type of work ethic and a champion sort of mentality especially to be around kevin like that it just really it really shaped me and it actually like kind of was like the catalyst for me wanting to go over to thailand again for that second time yeah. is because I was like, okay, he's going to be the face of Muay Thai over here in America. And he, does, and he deserves it. Because I remember I used to make the joke when he was so amateur. I was like, man, you're going to be the Ramon Deckers of America, bro. And he would always laugh. And like, <laughs> now you look back, I'm like, yeah, remember I told you? Because you could just see. You ever know how you meet somebody? You're like, all right, I don't know what it is, but there's something special yeah. about this person. And you could, I think we all saw, like, there was just something special about Kevin. Like, there was there's something you can't describe. And so he kind of was like, okay, if he's going to do it here, I'm going to go over to Thailand and try and, you know, and make a name and see what I can do over there and make a name as an American and on, on their soil. So if you can help me out with your lineage of places, because you have went and worked with basically nearly everyone, right? You've been yeah. to around some of the best coaches who've given you these little bits of advice that have kind of shaped who yeah, you I'm are. So from that Vegas scene, what was your next step? Where did you go next? Um, well, I had a little stint in MMA. Um, oh, thank God that was over. Well, well, let's let's touch on that because wasn't just can we touch? Can we skip that? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was when you got in a fight with a microphone on the. I'm telling you, look, they don't need to shove the boom mic that close to your face. <laughs> but how, how did the Ultimate Fighter come along? How did how did you get on that show? Uh, I think part of it was you know. Being in the Vegas scene, because we were just, this is back when Vegas was the mecca of, of MMA. They had really, you know, everything, USC, everything was was Vegas. I mean, that was the place you wanted to be, the gyms, everything. It wasn't as, as global as it is now. So, and us being the, like, we were really kind of like a super gym as far as just pure Muay Thai. Yeah. And so you have, would have some of the MMA guys coming to train. We would go out and train. This is back when it was, I think, Zions. Oh, yeah. Zions gym. Yeah. Then it was Warrior. Then it was... uh there's other gyms so Kevin and I and the guys we would go out to the various MMA gyms and spar these guys you know these MMA fighters so I think that doing that helped uh, kind of get my name and then uh, fighting still because I would after I came back from Vegas I would still go back there for like uh, I would take a whole summer basically and go and just stay and stay and live in Vegas again just go back to the gym yeah and uh, but I would still fight come back out here to the Midwest to fight 
uh, MMA. And then uh, I really don't even, I made a, someone asked me about the Ultimate Fire. I made, so I made a, they were like, hey, you should try out for this show. I was like, yeah, sure. So I made this silly little video and they were like, uh, and somehow I got on and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the rest, the rest is history. So it's Did like, you understand what was involved? Like the, in terms of you're going from a true martial arts background into a production. Did you understand like what was going to be required of you on that show? Mm, no, I had no, I had no idea like uh, uh, what was going to, uh, what I was really getting into with the like, because I, I just wanted to, and, and when you go and experience Thailand and the purity of it, and it's just like, hey, you're just going to fight. That's what it's about to fight. And it's not the production. It's either how, how do you perform when, yeah. when the, you know, not the weigh-ins, not the anything else. And that kind of, uh, it threw me off. But I'll tell you something that I never told anybody in an interview. What <clears throat> the reason people ask me, like, I never cared about MMA because it was never my dream because people don't really know us. So I never spoke about it. I had two brothers, and one of my brothers was very good. Kevin was very good at basketball. And I remember he was playing the guy that was like the, I don't know, you know, uh, what, what player it was, was the number one player in the nation at the time. And he was, dude, had a really good game and everything like that. And I remember it was around when I had, I think, my first or second uh, fight. And uh, so he had come visit me and a uh, uh, cousin had come down with him. They rode the, they rode the bus down from, uh, from Baltimore to Virginia. And we would just keep uh, VHS days. So I would put in his game. He would take it out and he would put in my fight. And, he, and we would just go back and forth. We'd talk about when he's going to make it to the NBA. And this is right when they stopped. Uh, you couldn't enter the draft anymore. They put the rule in where you couldn't come out of high school anymore. Oh, okay. But he was yeah. preparing for that. Well, he ended up passing away. Uh, so he died. Then uh, not very long after, that same cousin ended up uh, getting killed. Now, my brother died in a car accident. But So when people ask about MMA, it was never my dream because my dream was always to fulfill my promise to him because he would always like, when you make it, uh, when we make it, you know, I'm going to be coming to Thailand and we're yeah. going to be doing this and doing that. And I would talk to him about this Lumpini and all these stuff. He's like, man, when, we, when you make it, man, we're going to, uh, I'm going to come over there and we're going to watch you fight and everything like that. So MMA always felt like I was like not fulfilling the promise. Mm -hmm. So that was why the importance of me, one, fighting in Lumpini and staying consistent with Thai boxing came about. But I've never told that. And I've never said that before. Like, well, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense of. Like that was my promise was always for, for, for my brother to. Well. You can see how that guiding star has always been through all your decision making, for sure. Yeah. But you did make, <clears throat> outside of the whole microphone incident, you that did. Was funny. You did. Uh, it was pretty ass funny. <laughs> you made some great connections. I mean, you're on Team Hughes, right? Team Hughes, yeah. Yeah. And um, I didn't realize how many people knew you because I, I know you. Let me go somewhere. Uh, just say Anthony were fights. And an hour later, we're getting through the lobby of, and you're like, oh, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? Hey, Dorm, what's up? And uh, because you're so quiet, right? Like you, you talk, like when it comes to Muay Thai, like we can talk all day, just yeah, in yeah. general. But can you speak on about the people you met and like outside of the production? Like, was there any important um, friendships or contacts made during that? On oh, the, uh, the show? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I mean, all the guys really, uh, I really developed a good relationship. Like I, I got along with all the coaches, all the uh, all my peers, and and that, and that's what was most important to me because you know you always want to be respected by your peers mm -hmm. in anything you do, first and foremost. 
So they could, I think they could see that I had a gift for like uh, Muay, Muay Thai and they could also see that like I had a, just a work ethic to just learn and be a martial artist. So even when I lost, I was like, hey, show me some wrestling stuff or hey, show me, you know, the the the, the grappling stuff. And it was after the show that Matt Serres, the one that invited me uh, to New York and uh, I always make the joke, he, uh, he gave me my first, I think first two stripes of my white belt <laughs> at the time. And then uh, introduced me, opened a lot of doors. Uh, him and I knew a guy named Dave Branch and mm -hmm. uh, all from the Henzo Association. And then uh, I ended up getting my blue from a guy named George Rizal. Then I went back to New York and then I uh, got my purple from Dave Branch. And then I was like, all right, that's enough. I'm going to Thailand. Um, but I met Hughes. I didn't have a bad relationship with, you know, I really formed a bond with Sarah. Really, Robbie Lawler and I were really cool. I mean, he probably saved me from like uh, getting completely booted off. But I do know it was a pretty cool because they both went to bat for me. Uh, all of them did when it was time for me to keep having that meeting, which when everyone sees about me yelling at the camera and yeah. and things like that. I mean, that, that scene took like an hour because I couldn't stop laughing. But Dana was <laughs> laughing, so I started laughing. He was like, were you really going to fight? I was like, no, I'm not going to fight the guy. I'm just annoyed, man. Leave me alone. <laughs> so he started laughing, then I laughed. Then it was the uh, producer or whatever. He, you know, he kind of had a stick up his butt. So he was like, that fucking kid, you keep laughing. I was like, man, <laughs> he's my boss, not you, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... I think part of just the relationship that I developed were was because like one, I think I had, they could see I had a skill set because it wasn't you didn't have those level of striking at the time. It was still lower level of striking in MMA, and so uh, I remember I would spar with the guys, and they didn't notice I did it pretty much my whole crew like left handed. So they all thought I was left-handed. And so one day on the show, I just got pissed, and I had lost the fight, so I just got pissed. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just gonna go back conventional. And then I just started like <laughs> kind of piecing up a lot of the guys on the team. I remember sparring Matt and like, piecing the guys up. And I remember Robbie asked me, he's like, wait a minute, you're, you're right-handed? I was like, he's like, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, I haven't been showing you all this stuff left-handed. I was like, oh, because on the show, I'm going to fight left-handed. From my MMA career, I've been fighting left-handed. He's like, what the fuck? He's like, why don't you been fighting right-handed? I was like this. I don't really care about this as much. I just want to get back. I'm lost. I just want to get back to doing Muay Thai and get back to Thailand. How much did other disciplines play into your style of Muay Thai? Oh, tremendous. A lot. Uh, like, I mean, it, was, it wasn't for Mark Coleman and Kevin Random and meeting them. I wouldn't be in the MMA in the first place. And so I always came into it with a... a, a, a wrestling sort of like... That wrestling mindset really... Uh, shapes my, uh, my how I do Muay Thai. Um, that sort of grinding mentality. And even look, I started to study judo, uh, a lot of upper body wrestling, mm -hmm. um, and how that infused into the Muay Thai clinch. Did any of that come from your stint in New York? Because did you spend any time with John Donahue for a little bit? I did. And the funny story about that is like, <clears throat> I was Dave Branch's uke. Like, so Dave would really open a lot of doors up for me. I mean, to me, he's probably one of the most complete martial artists I have ever seen to this day in all my travels. Um, and at the time I was living in Harlem and uh, I would basically just, he was like, look, just, just look, just come around. And like, I was like, quote unquote, kind of his like coach, but it's okay at the same time. And then his friend, you know what I mean? And like, he was like, like mentoring me into the MMA game really. And, uh, <clears throat> We would literally, 
I would meet him down there at, at uh, Henzo's, and uh, Dan and her was there. And uh, <clears throat> I remember just like, I would just be quiet. I wouldn't say nothing, whatever they asked for. So I would just like let Dave toss me around, just, and I would just try and pick up the knowledge by just being quiet, mm -hmm. just throwing me around, throwing me. He never spoke to me. Then one day, Dave and I got to spar, and I was just thinking to myself like, fuck yeah. This is my motherfucking shining moment. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, because I've been getting thrown around. So we had just a great spar match. And I remember my nose. So Dave caught me. I mean, anybody know Dave Branch? He big guy hit like a truck. So I was, I was trying to be on back. I was trying to run up his leg. I was doing all this <laughs> shit. And uh, so he caught me and I was bleeding. And then Dan and her was, I remember saying, uh, oh, Mr. Price, would you like to stop this? I said, hell no. So I remember I just like, wiped the blood off and then like just wiped it all over my mouth and just kept going. <laughs> then after that day, he like, he talked to me at the end. It was like, it like showed like, he's like, hmm, Mr. Price, I have a lot of respect for you. <laughs> and I was just like, shit, man, that's amazing. I don't know if you remember this story, but it was hilarious. And then after that day, yeah, I think that was, the, that was, the, that had to be like two, three months in when he, before he actually like, and then he actually spoke to me, and I was like, oh, this shit is cool. It's like it's like the monk finally speaking to him the whole time. I'm just the choir uke in the corner yeah. for uh, for Dave. But yeah, for, but it was funny because I would go from, uh, we would go from there, and we would go to Brooklyn for boxing, and I would then we'd go to, uh, to Jersey because he was teaching at a, a, a school in Jersey. He hadn't opened his own academy yet, so he was doing uh, out of this wrestling uh, uh, school in, uh, called The Edge in Jersey. And he was going there a whole book. So we would just, I would literally just follow him all around one day. And uh, from, from Danaher to the boxing gym, we would go lower Manhattan, just all over the city, just eating what we can look like, just eating here and there, eating on the subway. You get a food, <laughs> then we get on the subway train, we just all over the place. But yeah, I owe Dave a lot for helping uh, get me into certain rooms, yeah. get me around a lot of knowledge that I may otherwise not have been able to get around. But it also required me to humble myself to be able to do that. And in that short amount of time, like I was literally like, uh, was able to progress so fast because I was literally basically just immersed in the camp, whatever he was doing, I was doing. So when it would come time for, you know, I was getting jujitsu almost twice a day, boxing with him. Uh, we still do our, uh, you know, our whatever work we yeah. need to do, power, but it was really like, uh, yeah, he opened a lot of the doors and I got to get around a lot of knowledge, which also in turn, I didn't realize it, but later on has helped my coaching career, being around that type of knowledge. The I don't understanding, know if I answered that right. What's that? I don't know if I answered that right. No, no, no yeah, it is, it's like, it, there's nothing linear with uh, with your story and everything the with stories it. Stories are crazy. <laughs> but it is amazing that you studied all these disciplines with still your guiding star of like Muay is your goal. You have your goal to fight in Nupini. But you didn't do it like solely on like Muay 24-7. No. You pull from all different disciplines to make it your own style. Uh, absolutely. Um, and you know who really, the first person to put that in my mind <clears throat> was Coach Pena on The Ultimate Fighter. He was like, you got to take it and make it yours. And he was really good on, on uh, the boxing coach. Um, and he would always just see me doing Muay Thai on the bag. And, uh, cause I just never wanted to sit around. So when the guys would have a date, I was like, man, fuck, I'm gonna do something. Show me some wrestling stuff or I just gonna hit the damn bag. Um, yeah. And uh, 
he was like, look, you know, Muay Thai is like this, but, and he had some fascinating, the way he, the way he broke down boxing was very impressive to me. It was, it was unique in terms of his footwork. And uh, he was like, look, you know, Muay Thai does this, but you know, you got to take it and make it your own. And that always stuck with me. So that goes, I guess, to what you were saying about how I took uh, and sprinkled all the other disciplines to make that because it was really that was really opened my mind. Because before that, if you watched, I mean, if we ever find a VHS, like in my earlier, I was very Muay Thai-esque. Yeah. But it wasn't really, when he said that to me, it really opened my mind to, okay, let me look and start embracing other styles and putting this, see what I can make this my own. You couldn't have really planned a better foundation of knowledge to coach fighters MMA. Because you're around every other discipline, even though striking might be just say the one that you want to teach and look at, but you can understand all the other arts that make a fighter and help with defense. Because the whole really strategy is you want to pull someone into your best strength so you can kick their ass. Yeah. And uh, it's very hard to do that if you don't know the other arts. Absolutely. So then how did you and Matt meet? Matt and I met, Jesus. Was early, it a Mac Humes? No, it was no. early, <clears throat> early 2000s uh, at a jujitsu gym here, but not a, uh, uh, it was a Japanese jujitsu gym. When I first had come out here. Dustin Weir's? Uh-uh. No. Um, Japanese jujitsu gym. Gosh, I forget. And uh, so you're in there, and then, like, we just started becoming friends, and I had already been doing Muay Thai for a while. You know, I'd already had been to Thailand, already had fights yep. and stuff. And then uh, we just kind of uh, uh, just kind of hit it off right there. And then uh, from from that point, like, as our career is going forward, it was like, uh, I was like, man, I just like Muay Thai, man. And, and like, <laughs> he, he said it before. He's like, there's no money in that shit, man. You can stick to that shit doing the MMA thing. I was like, all right. So I kind of dabbled. Like I said, I dabbled. My MMA career was only like four, four or five years, really. It wasn't yeah. that long. It's, um, but after that, we just, we ended up going, we would, draw, we, we, we would go down to uh, Cincinnati to George Gels at the time. Uh, they had Rich Franklin there as champion. And that was actually the first super gym that was ever created. I, and people don't give uh, uh, Professor George Gisele enough credit because that was like, I mean, if you looking back at it now, I think out of that gym, I want to say nine of us went to the USC and made it out of there. I mean, you yeah. had Rich Franklin was a champion at the time, the middleweight champion. Uh, I want to say almost George was fighting in the USC at the time. You had a guy, Dustin Hayes, that, so there was quite a few of us that uh, uh, end up... Uh, Luke Zacharis, yeah, there was, there was a, quite a few of us that ended up uh, getting to the USC out of that gym. I want to say night nine. I might be off a little bit, but so Matt and I would go there and then we just really just just became just really good friends. And it was like kind of like that's when people ask me, like I never was really his. It's weird when people say coach because I was always his friend first. Yeah. And it was just like a, I happened to be a friend that had a certain skill set that he needed for his because. Uh, I was like coaching, but still going on through my career because the majority of his career, well, all of really, because uh, I was known him before, well before the USC, um, but, but I was in Thailand. So 
He was actually the way I was able to come back to the U.S. because I damn sure didn't have any money to get back. <laughs> uh, so let's jump back over the pond to Thailand. When did you start making Thailand your base? Like, this is where you wanted to be. And now that I know some more of that backstory of what was driving you, like, to be an American and push as hard and to achieve as much as you did in Thailand is not an easy task. And if you look at, if you look at how hard Raymond Decker's had in Thailand, like he literally had to put people away because he absolutely. knew if it went to decision, like he's not just not getting Yeah, that. absolutely. Um, so knowing you had that uphill battle, like what was that like? Uh, well, I won't even put myself close to the Ramon Decker's category. I mean, I, you know, I, it's, 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 um, I guess uh, what people look as I paved the way because there weren't many Americans other than uh, a guy that we both know, uh, uh, Cyrus Washington, who in my opinion is probably the main person who paved the way for Americans in Thailand. Yeah. Um, uh, him and I both over there together, there, we really didn't, there weren't many others. Uh, myself, him, and there was another one, uh, a guy named Matthew Semper. There was, it was only us. And uh, <clears throat> when we were there, it was, uh, you're really on an uphill battle because you look at, uh, Australia has always been up there, you know, always well-respected. France is respected. Uh, Ireland is very respected, you know, and, and I'm talking about in the eyes of the ties when it yeah. comes to Muay Thai. Uh, uh, the British, you know, but as far as America at the time, I mean, and, and they didn't really look at us like, because I want to say, I think I went over there, it was like towards the right in the end of 2008, beginning of 2009. Like I said, as soon as I got my purple belt, I was like, I'm out of there. Um, and very, very, uh, so it was like we constantly had to prove ourselves because they didn't really understand, like, you know, they see an American and they're thinking like, oh, okay, this is going to be an easy one or whatever. So uh, we, I want to say, I looked at it from the standpoint I wanted to do it the right way. So I uh, got actually invited over to, and this is why I say, you know, I, I don't think I would have done what I'd done had it not been for the UFC. So I always have to, uh, always have a lot of love and respect for the UFC because doing that, even though I didn't have the success uh, fighting-wise, I think because of the way people looked at my Muay Thai, mm -hmm. um, it really opened a lot of doors for me um, because I ended up getting invited to Tiger, and at the time it was small. And uh, you and I have talked about it because, you know, you were over there even before I was there. It was it was smaller. And... Uh, I wanted to start in the provinces and, and work my way up. So I would start fighting in the local things in Tiger and then they start putting my me as the like main attraction on the poster with everyone else. And I'm like, yeah. and they're like, okay, now your people are betting there. Maybe they're bringing a tie in from uh, Bangkok. And so that's how I wanted to do it that way and then work my way up. Just go around the buses. Just to make the parades around. Of no, they never put me on the buses, but you would see my picture on the bus next to the bus. So they, they would yeah. always have my, you know, big fight, big fight. <laughs> you remember that one? <laughs> the speakerphone, they had a big fight, big fight, Friday, big fight. How did that feel, like, been in those stadiums at the start? Because when I experienced it, my head is just going back to John claude Van Damme, the kickboxer, yeah. to blood sport, to where, like, oh, this is... 
this is a whole other world. And I'm not sure what your take was when I first got to Thailand. Yeah. Um, there's a lecturer uh, who was in our university, Richie Bulger, told me about Tiger Muay Thai. You should go, go out there. Yeah. And the, the advice he told me, once you get off the airplane, it's like Dodge City. It is. It and, is Dodge City. Uh, Tiger was so small that someone was supposed to pick us up. Mm -hmm. When I got off the plane, myself and my buddy, we turned up and we were swarmed by people. And no one from Tiger. I'm like, oh, so we just got in the back of a blacked out Honda Civic. Yes. <laughs> and um, we're driving into the jungle. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, we're not coming back. I'm like, this is it. We, we picked the wrong taxi. There's nothing to be seen. And then out of nowhere, we're there. But I just remember the people are so nice. The culture is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And you make it way easier when you immerse yourself and you understand their culture. You just don't try to bring yours with you. Yeah. Um, but getting to those stadiums, watching the fights, betting with the tuk-tuk drivers, mm -hmm. the whole whole lot was like, oh, this is a whole different world. And it's such a pure thing to see because yeah. you start with the kids' shows. Mm -hmm. Like the kids come on and they're like, they are so talented. Yeah. What was your take? Like when you started getting in there and like, and you're in the ring, like you're, you're now in there fighting with ties. Well, remember, um, when I first got to, got over there, I remember I, I got, I went blind. I don't know if you ever heard that story. Where I lost my vision. Uh, I got an infection. I don't know what it was, but uh, uh, it felt like at some point it started feeling like uh, somebody's making paper cuts on my eyeball. So uh, I literally remember uh, Big Buddha. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. would ride me up Big Buddha because they thought I was cursed or something. And uh, I had this eye patch, and I remember with the wind blowing on the back of the scooter, I would, they would like, it took almost like two hours. So I had to be like, hey, you guys got to stop, man. This is my eyes killing me. I would keep falling like I was going to fall off the bike. <laughs> they just kept wanting to ride me up there to meet the monks or something because they thought I was cursed. And it was about three, four months where I was literally like absolutely blind in that, in, 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 in that eye. And by the time they figured it out, like I just kept spending the money. You know how they're just like taking your money, no problem. And they weren't really giving me any sort of like uh, treatment. I would say, it's like, hey, you got to turn your fan off because uh, maybe it's drying out your eyes. So there was no air con in the room. So I'm like, uh, on the, you know, the plastic. I didn't even have bed covers. So, you know, the plastic over the mattress. So I'm yeah. sleeping on the plastic on the mattress on the little spring with no, with no fan. That was my only source of cooling. And I'm just hearing... Packs. I'm right outside the ring. See the intermediate ring? You know what the ring is? And then the little, uh, the, the, the bungalow huts? Yeah. So I'm right there. So I just, all day I'm just here. Doosh, doosh, doosh. And uh, so when they finally fixed it, I had already lost some of the vision in the eye. And they, they're like, we, you can't get it back. It's like, maybe it'll return, maybe it won't. And I remember I was like running out of money and I was like, uh, and I remember I, I called my, like, uh, my mother to put on the, my little top-up phone and I was in a panic, like, mom, you gotta help me. I'm, I think I'm going blind. She's like this, uh-uh, baby, this is your dream. You need to figure this one out yourself. <laughs> Call me if you dying, but this is what you wanted. You gonna figure this one out. She's like, you got your other eye. Can you see out of that? I said, yeah. She's like this. All right, baby, well then good luck. Figure that one out. <laughs> if you die and call us, we'll help. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, well, damn, I'm gonna get it. So I, I remember it was uh, a big tournament in the Philippines and uh, they, they, and you know how the, the, the promoters, they'll call around and be like, hey, we need it. We're looking for an American. We're looking for like the, the, the you know how the concept of yeah. racism is like, we need a black American to fight. Or <laughs> we're looking for a, 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 a white American or we need an Irish guy or yeah. to fight on these things. And like, so they were like, look, we need an American. 
it was a four-man tournament and it was one from a Chinese promotion in the Philippines. And I was like, and they were like, do you want to fight? Can you see? I was like, I sure can. I was blind as shit in the eye. And I was like, I sure can see. Get me to fight. And that's the, that was my first experience over there. And I remember getting, it was a four-man tournament, getting fucked up because the guy, the Chinese guy who missed weight, all the Chinese guys missed weights by like 10 pounds. And uh, remember we said like, uh, because a couple of other Americans were on the show, so we were like, hey, man, you motherfuckers got to go, like, make the weight. Like, go go, go make the weight. So they put on their sauna suits, and they go out in the hallway as if they're going to go ahead and make the weight. And so we're refueling, and we walk out there, and they're just fucking just sitting there huddled up, eating pizza or whatever, and they're just <laughs> doing whatever they want. I was like, you got to be shitting me. And so in the first round of the, in the, of the, of the fight, of the tournament, I'm fighting this guy that must have been, like, uh, Yao Ming's little brother. He was like 6'4". So he, first he like swells my good eye shut. So I'm like, I'm fucked. So I'm just, <laughs> and, and this is round one. He caught me some good shots and it was a sand, sand shower tournament. Like sand, like their Chinese thing. And I remember because yeah. they gave us these shorts, like you got to wear these shorts. So I was like, yeah, sure. So I gave them to the guy. I was like, put this in your bag. I'm not wearing this shit. <laughs> and yeah, that was my first experience. And then on the way back, and uh, I remember in the Philippines, you have to walk through security before you get into the, uh, to even get into the airport. So I remember walking there. So my, you know, I mind you, my eyes like damn near swollen shut, you know, and I had just these pesos or, or their currency. And then in my pocket, I put it on the thing and put everything on the belt and go through. And they have like the military there. And I remember they come over to me and they're like, uh, when I'm going to get my stuff and they're like, uh, come here. And uh, they're like, uh, uh, we, f we found uh, drugs in your bag. I was like, all right, man, I know how this works, man. How much is it going to cost to get me out the country? Man? <laughs> like, let's just stop this. You know, let's just shortcut this shit, man. What you guys looking for? And then so they take the money and then they take the majority of it. Then they remember, you have to pay a tax to get out of the Philippines. So they're like, here, take this back. Because you have to pay <laughs> to leave the country. So that was my first experience. But I'll tell you what, in saying that, I loved fighting in the Philippines. Aside from that, because the fans are some of the best. But yeah. I don't know if I answered the question, but I kind of went on a little tangent because that was my first for, experience. But I think you were talking about the stadium. Like, but the just, just that experience alone was amazing. Did you ever, how did your eye get fixed? What I never did. I never got all the vision back. Just right. the, no, no, no. I didn't give a fuck. No, no, no. It, it's, not, it's not blind, but it never came all the way back. But in that fight, I could really barely see out of it. I could see out of the other eye until the the fucker started punching it. I mean, he <laughs> yeah. shut him and he hit really hard. No one, and then this, no one checks your, your hand wraps anyway. Yeah. No one cared. Uh, did they ever find out what happened? No, because I never had. And it, it was Thailand. And, and the funny story is the guy who actually saved my eye was Mark Hunt. How, how did he get involved? Mark Hunt just happened to be over there. And because Australia and New Zealand, they have a huge kickboxing Muay Thai culture there. So, yeah. you know, they're always just closer for them to go to Thailand. No problem. And so he happened to be over there and uh, because they weren't in, I, I think I was the first, I guess, quote, if you want to call me USC veteran to, to live over there full time. Uh, we just kind of hit it off. It, it, it was hilarious. He taught me how to, uh, he taught me how to ride a, uh, ride a scooter. And I remember he would have had me like driving around. Mind you, I still can't see out of the eye and shit. And he was like, uh, so this is before the fight happened. And then he was like, hey, man, I was like, man, I'm running, I'm running out of money, man. Uh, I can't get this shit fixed. So he's like, oh, man, I'll get it fixed. I'll help you out. So he helped me out a little bit. 
Then he was like, hey, we're going to go get a scooter. And I was like, I can't ride a scooter. He was like, ah, you know, in this little New Zealand accent, don't worry, mate. And then we ride around this parking lot. And then I kept like falling over. And then the one time I made a full circle, he was like, oh, we're good enough to ride on the street. I was like, I don't know about this. And this is the funniest story. We go up, we try and go up this mountain. Oh, he's yeah. too big for the <laughs> for his bike, so we didn't have enough. So he's like, let's switch bikes. So I get on his bike and gun it and like run it to the side of the mountain and shit. And it's like, this didn't happen, but this is what it just seems like. It's like he picked up the bike one arm, picked me up another arm, and walked across. And I was like, oh, look, an eagle. Because it was a guy. You know, Palm Tep Cape the Mountain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was a guy with it, like a, a big ass eagle. And I was like, oh, an eagle. But meanwhile, I'm bleeding and shit because I just ran into the side of the mountain. And then uh, we get some water poured on, and then I take a picture with the eagles. And then, yeah, Mark Hunt is like, was a great guy. And believe it or not, that guy is an amazing chess player. I used to, there was a guy who just thought he was real slick and smart. And I want to say, now don't quote me on this, but it looked like, remember the Crown Royal bags? Yeah. Mark Hunt used to have this bag that looked, that reminded me of the Crown Royal bag with his little chessboard in there. And he would come there and smoke this guy. <laughs> it was the nicest ass whooping I've ever seen. Like, don't move there. Oh, mate, don't move there. Okay, checkmate. <laughs> And the guy thought he was a British guy, thought he was the smartest shit and was this master chess player. And here comes this big Samoan and just smokes him with, in chess. I would never have known that. That's amazing. That Mark Hunt is the one that really helped save my uh, fucking eye from going uh, all the way because I, I didn't know he was going to heal himself or I was going to go completely blind with it. So that's the funny story. And that was, you know, before <clears throat> uh, the, the fight in the Philippines. So that's like the story before the story. I mean, as I said, there's there's so many tangents to to what is Dorian Price. Thailand was an adventure. I mean, how deep down the rabbit hole do you want to go? <laughs> I, I I just think it's important because it, it all builds up to meeting you here at Westside. Yeah, and to where all your experiences give me an education of okay, how do we get this stronger? Between that and giving you that book of all these touch or uh, trigger points in the body. Yeah, do you remember like to where we're like okay, how do we increase strength for this? How do we increase? Yeah. Strength? Because Matt would have his schedule, yep. which was wherever Matt's schedule was. Yep. And then in the meantime, we're like, hey, Dorian, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. And we bands, the amount of stuff we do with bands, all bands, that. Yeah. Because you could tell me stuff from a wrestling, like, how the fuck do you know about wrestling? And then you'd go off in a story. And then jujitsu, you think this would work? And you're like, well, let me try. I'm like, well, how do you know that? And you go off in another story. Yeah. Um, but I think like the the true nature of what made you you was a huge part to what led into our MMA program. Um, so when you met Mark, what, where were you based out of? Were you a Tiger then or were you somewhere else? Mark Hunt? Yeah. No, I was still in Tiger. So this was all within a short span. I think I was there for maybe a year and uh, I want to say... Uh, a year and a half, almost, maybe almost two years. And I had quite a few fights for them. And then um, it wasn't long after that. Yeah, right after that, I got the opportunity to, no, actually I came back for a, match, a couple match fights and went back uh, and that's when Sip Chai uh, gave me the opportunity to be the first foreigner they ever sponsored. They were like, well, look, why don't you come here? We're going to, you know, uh, we want to sponsor you. Um, 
their style was punches and low kicks, and I kind of fit, even though I like the elbow a lot. They, yeah. You know, I just had an aggression, and it was a perfect mesh. But that's when they uh, extended that opportunity to That's make, a huge honor. Yeah. They, they had never sponsored American or any other foreigner. They never sponsored a foreigner. Uh, before that, I was the, literally the first foreigner they sponsored. Lived on the floor in the mattress with the other ties, my trainer and everything. And, uh, yeah. Where, when did you develop your clinch game and your elbow game? Like, when did you make that your version? Uh, I guess I was fortunate because the, when I talk back to the first, and, and, and Sean uh, Yarbrough can remember this, like, I think our instructor was a little more advanced. Uh, Frank Cucci, the SEAL, and anybody that's been around SEAL just realized how highly intelligent and motivated uh, and, and uh, outside-the-box thinking thinkers they are. And uh, that was the first time I ever seen, like, a shark tank where we would actually clinch and, and one person would jump on and constantly jumping on each other. So we kind of, I think, had a better understanding of the clinch than uh, really any... Any, uh, I would say, at the time, yeah. um, um, Sean can 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 attest to that. Uh, but <clears throat> so that was so. I guess is you always fall in love, you know, you, with your with your first love, and and then clinching in the elbows just from that experience. Now it wasn't as refined as it became later, but that experience, like man, I really, I, you know, I didn't know what it was. But golly, I loved this. Uh, it wouldn't have been until I got to. Uh, I always liked the elbow and was good at, but it wasn't until when I got to Tiger. Uh, my first fight, like, they didn't really say anything. It was just, like, uh, after the Philippines, uh, or after the Philippine fight, I came back, my eyes swollen and everything. I was like, look, I'll, hell, I'm going to fight again. I think I fought, like, four days later after getting off the plane, then uh, uh, fought three days later after that, and just kept fighting. And the first time, a couple of times, they wouldn't say anything in the corner. They were just like, give me the water, whatever. And I guess the trainer was kind of watching to see, like, okay, well, what's his natural tendency? And then I would, it was, they started realizing, okay, this kid likes to really elbow. So then they started to hone it in. Like, okay, look, he's just, you know, let's give him kind of the, uh, uh, Crudon was kind of like, let's give him the the why and the the, and the, 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 the the when and the why. Like, when he needs to be doing it, why he needs to be doing this type of elbow as opposed to that type of elbow and, and how. And the clinch came in, started developing in, in, in uh, with guys like Nantichai, uh, uh, and Crumb, some of the other ties. Um, but how I became my own style was really coming back when Matt would bring me back for camps. Because what would end up happening is I would literally show Matt, like, hey, Matt, this is the tie clinch, and these are the, you know, things we're doing from the tie clinch. And then, you know, Matt's very smart. So as he, <clears throat> he would be involved with the wrestling, and then he would go, you know, Greco, you know, the freestyle, whatever, folk style, whatever, wrestling. And he would then, we would start interchanging and we would, you know, obviously do our clinch test and he would say, well, look, well, you, if we, if I do it like this, the tie way, what's going to happen is a, a, a Greco guy or when he's is going to do this on me to counter that. So we're like, okay, well, let's see how we can, well, what if we try this way or what if we try that way? And we were literally, once he started getting, uh, like, the whole job of anybody is to bring a person up to your level to force you to have to get better. So I was like, once he started realizing, like, okay, these are the foot sweeps I'm doing. This is a little foot sweep. And he started, you know, getting up to the level. Then it was like, we would literally just go for hours. And so I would come back and 
if I had a new little trick I learned, he'd have some something that he learned, and we really would just like some of our sessions, we would just go in there and clinch and see who would get tired first. And then shit, we wouldn't even be pad work. We'd be like, hey, we just gonna clinch for fucking two hours, see what happens. And he's like, yeah, fuck it, right on. And through that, we actually developed our our own style. And I would literally take the things that he would infuse from the wrestling and the MMA portion and take it back to Thailand and do it against the Thais because they didn't have an understanding of it when he would take the stuff I was showing from Thais, the tricks, and put it in the MMA against the wrestlers because they didn't have any understanding of that. Yeah. So the foot sweep he did, it's like, that's kind of a combination of what we both kind of came up with because if you look, the way we do it is not very traditionally seen in Thai boxing. Uh, and it's, you look, you don't see it uh, uh, too much in MMA. So we really, that is something that we came together in, over the years and developed into a unique thing. Because if you ask some of the times, they'll say, I clinch funny. I clinch differently. Yeah. Um, because and that's, that's one of the reasons. Matt and I literally have, we have literally created, because uh, <clears throat> the clinch, if you look at Thai boxing, it's an art. The clinch is an art within the art. And Matt and I have literally taken that and and made it a, we could literally do a video breakdown and a, a whole course on the clinch that we have created. There's a lot of, not similarities, but is there any of it rooted in judo? Like there, there is some aspects of that, that it's not Muay Thai, it's not MMA, but then you look at judo, you're like, oh, there, there's yeah. something here. It's uh, the, uh, so, uh, I've been fortunate to be around and, and going back to the day branch, uh, the, just two, uh, Haitian judokas, uh, the St. Ledger brothers, phenomenal. And, uh, just, uh, talking to them, picking their brain. And then, then, uh, even, uh, uh, just observing Danaher, you know, just, just observing him and, 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 and what he would talk today. Like I said, I was the UK, like the fly, I got to be the fly on the wall in the room and just listen and then observe and just seeing how he would just break down and study other arts. And when he would study judo, I would literally go back and start looking at uh, judo, uh, uh, judo stuff. And, <clears throat> and in doing that, I started to realize that uh, there were some similarities uh, and I would start taking the uh, Ashiwaza or foot sweeps mm -hmm. or uh, you have uh uh, Kosoto, Kouchi, inside and outside uh, foot sweeps. And I just started realizing, okay, if I can manipulate, and while judo has the gi, I started realizing, okay, well, the ties are masters that manipulate me upper body without having to need a gi this way and this way. Now it's like, I, if I can get the push-pull concept from the ties and then get these foot sweeps, it's going to be very easy. And so a lot of the the foot sweep, I would say, is very, very judo judo-esque uh, that Matt and I both do. When you started implementing this into your fights, I'm going to assume it wasn't a success off the bat. You had to refine because, or was it? Did it immediately, did you uh, see success with like fighting against the ties? I, I saw success. The thing is, like, I was always a better clincher than what I uh, showed. And it wasn't until I got to look probat, which is probably do I got asked to go there it was one of the most famous clinch camps to ever exist clinching knee camps um uh so far out in the mountains there's no wi-fi or nothing um but the, one of the things is after training uh it's one round an hour and a half of clinching just one round and they have ties that were my height um <clears throat> so getting a clinch with them yeah uh but the reason it could it I just really enjoy cutting people. Like, that was my thing. I just wanted to see how many scars I could leave on a person's face. It's like my calling card. Um, 
And uh, but what I could do with the clinch uh, is that you get to experiment in training because you're constantly getting the clinch every day, six days a week. You know, at, at bare minimum, even if you're not a clinching clinching camp, you're going to do thirty minutes of clinching. Now, if yeah. you're at a clinching camp, you're going to do an hour or more. So you're always going to get to try these different things. Like there are a lot of things that I could do that I'll show in clinching that I wasn't allowed to do in fights because of my height. So if I bent over at the waist, like I can do an uh -huh. ankle pick, it looked, made me look like my spine was weak being taller. Yeah. If I was to bend over, uh, it made me look like I was weak in, like in the spine or uh, I was supposed to clinch a certain way, push on the face, stand tall, knee, knee, uh, like that. So there were certain things I couldn't do because they were short man's moves. But in, in training, you can have fun with it. So yeah. I could do the judo things. I could do... Uh, you know, even the, the, you know, lacing the leg, which you're not allowed, you could do that in training, but in the fight, that's a, those are fouls. Yeah. So a lot of stuff, you know, I was only able to do in training because if I tried in the fight, I would lose a lot of points. But the one thing that I realized I had success with, and I had it in <clears throat> one of my Lumpini fights, my second one was uh, the sweep, the mat and I, that was the first time I was like, holy shit. This works. When I would take, instead of taking the with matter without the gloves, you would take the webbing of your hand and put it in the armpit. I started to realize like I could take the the glove itself and put it up there as a fist and do it that way. And that was the first time I saw success uh, with it. I was like, "Holy shit, this works!" And how exciting was it to bring that back, train Matt, and have him utilize that in an organization where? You wouldn't, it was not a foul where everything is, uh, was, was that like kind of to where like, hey, you can do this. You can like wrap up your foot. You can tie this up where you couldn't. I think it was good, but <clears throat> at the same time, I only came back and I only brought the basis of the clinch. Like, you know, which for Matt, he had never seen nothing like it, which most Americans have never seen what the true tie clinch really yeah. is, all the intricacies of it. I mean, you, you, you notice yourself having been over there, you know, people in America, well, in Ireland is such a high level but I'm sure in America you understood people here don't really understand at the time what really tie clenching was they thought it was just grabbing somebody by the back of the head and not all the intricacies so just showing Matt that <clears throat> he was able like I said we really I can't take all the credit because as much as I helped him into clinch he helped me evolve my clinch as well and then yeah. we ended up you know creating our own clinch we're to the point now where if someone was to clinch him his clinch is different than my clinch, but we still, you know what I, I mean? Yeah. If that makes sense. So the same foundation, but you, uh, your interpretation is different. Completely right? different. Where he might, he's going to do certain wrestling things or, you know, he's taken it and made it kind of his own. I've taken it and made it mine. So mine might be a little bit more uh, uh, finesse base or off balancing or foot sweeping. His might be completely different where it might be a little bit more grind you out wrestling style base, but it's still going to be that, you know, objective is to fuck you up and yeah. smash your skeletal structure. I haven't heard that in a minute. Yeah, I, I remember that was... That, yeah, that, was, yeah. that is my yeah, demo. But, Smash your skeletal structure. Um, <laughs> can you talk to me leading up to you fighting Lupini? Yes. The first fight? Yeah. <clears throat> the first fight in Lupini was uh, interesting because uh, uh, I had just fought a, a, a bunch. Just when I got to sit with I think I had just fought, God, I don't remember how many times, but I had fought a bunch of times. And uh, How many fights have you had? Jesus. Combined, I think I'm close to 80 now. But a lot of them were like the Mui Watts and the villages and things yeah. like that, the provinces, you know, not the big ones. And you combine MMA and everything. 
So quite a bit of fights. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was, uh, I remember because I had fought so much <clears throat> and uh, the girl, it was a girl I was dating at the time and uh, she was uh, in, uh, from New Zealand, but was in Australia at the time. And uh, she had come over uh, to, to see me. And then I remember I asked the boss, could we borrow the car? He was like, sure, but there's no way in the world you're driving because you can't drive a scooter. I was like, don't worry. I think she drives on this side. And so we went on uh, uh, to a place called Conchanterbury. Um, great, great spot. And then we, we had a little vacation time or whatever. And then I remember we came back to the camp and asked the boss, can she train? And they were like, uh, yeah, sure. And uh, we go running. So we run our, because at first I was like, hey, do you want to sleep in this, uh, <laughs> in the room? And the trainer was like, oh, okay, she can sleep. And it's a floor. And so it's in my mattress and the floor. I was showing in my room, which is behind the kitchen with the little roosters <laughs> and everything. She's like, this ain't happening. <laughs> no fucking way. Because <laughs> it's my mattress next to it. And I'm all excited. Like, look, I have my own closet. <laughs> and it's my mattress and the trainer's crew drew out mattress. And then at the time, it was crew yard's mattress. And so we're all in there. And then they were like, she can stay. No problem. She was beautiful. And, they were, and then she's like, this is not happening. And so we go and uh, stay in. Uh, so after Conchanterbury, this is when I brought her back. I was like, hey, let's just stay. And then uh, we go stay in. It's like... Uh, it's like the love motel <laughs> where you can rent the room by the hour. So it's like <laughs> you got to walk down the street. Now, mind, this is in like Tomica. There's nothing there. So it's like the little ass love motel down there. And so I was like, okay, so we stay there. So uh, the, the next night or the next day, we go for the morning run. The, you know, it's like seven miles. We go for the run, come back. And uh, I remember I start wrapping my hands and that trainer and then my trainer crew drew up, comes over and he's like, uh, uh, don't wrap your hands. Don't wrap your hands. Take them off. And I said, what's going on? And he's like, OK, OK, check weight, check weight. So I go to check the weight. He makes the call to the big boss and he's like this. OK, OK, jump rope a little bit. And uh, so I had already run. So I was already sweating. So I lost the jump rope. He's like, OK, check weight. He's like, OK, makes another call. It's like, OK, tonight you fight. Let's go. <laughs> Really, it was like that. That was that, and I didn't know. And then we get in the car, and uh, and 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 on the way to, the, they're like, the, okay, the the big boss is coming back to get you. So he drive. They, he was already in Bangkok, so he came back, and uh, they don't tell me where I'm fighting yet. I still know what the fuck's going. I'm just know I'm going, but that's how it happened. Like, I I I know I'm going to fight, but in that point, I'm always on a constant state of like, preparing or ready yeah. for battle. So we're there. So he picks us up. We get in the car. And the girl I was dating the time, cause see, I was scared as shit, but I'm trying to play it off because I don't know what's going on. I'm like, man, this is this is new. They never done this to me before. Like <laughs> normally they give me at least a day's notice. <laughs> and on the way down, and this could have just been accidental. I hear the doors lock and they're like, okay, you fight Lumpini. <laughs> Cause it's you need to hear the doors lock in the car and you look, and I'm like this, and I'm already scared as shit. I'm like, what the hell? And they're like, okay, you fight Lumpini. And then we go down there, they put us on the cattle, <clears throat> on the little cattle scale. You get butt naked, you get on the cattle scale, and uh, they check the weight. You got the guy smoking a cigarette looking at you, you know, with the sunglasses and people looking around. It's like, okay. So then I remember, and then going back when I first went there as a kid, I remember I was getting emotional because I thought about my brother at the time, 
and uh, how I was there as a kid in the stand. So I remember I went to the boss after we, they have a place you can eat noodles at the, this is the old Lumpini, the Mecca, the, the original. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I refueled and did what I need, you know, got my ref refueled, ate my noodles. And I remember to the boss, like, hey, uh, you know, uh, I'm gonna go off and for a little bit, can I just walk around? And so I remember sitting in the same place that I sat in as a kid all those years ago in the 90s, uh, like surreal, seeing myself, uh, uh, looking at myself fighting later that night. So I, it was like the most surreal moment and I was getting emotional and I was trying not to like tear up and I was like, man, yeah. shit, hold it together. You got to fight later. So I'm dealing with the emotions of fear, knowing that I'm gonna have to fight against, uh, on the big show against a really good, you know, a good guy. I didn't know who he was at the time because I didn't see him until I got there. And so, the the first time I actually saw my opponent is instead of it was the TV thing. So instead of putting us across the key, they sitting us right next to each other. And I'm kind of looking over the guy and the guy's <laughs> scarred up and everything. And I'm like, this joker looks serious. What the fuck? So I just remember like, all right, man, just don't give him a chance to find out how good he is, man. Just treat just like a one round fight. Like uh, this, you, you, this, this is all or nothing. It, this, there's no point thing. So I just remember, uh, and the fight going out there and just saying, just telling myself, man, fuck it. If you're going to die, you're going to die. Let's go. And just just ran at him. I just tried. I, I laid it on the line. If, if that fight would have probably gone to the other round, I don't know how much energy I would have had because fear is a powerful motivator. Yeah. And I realized, well, then I got comfortable. Once I realized I hit him with the first elbow, I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. And turned to find out after everyone told me how damn good he was. And then after that, that's when I started making a name because nobody expected it. I was there to be canner fighter for him. Gotcha. Like, I was brought in to be canner fighter for that guy. Nobody knew. And then after that, I ended up making a name. And there's a funny story about that that you that'll carry on later to Max. If you uh, want to, if you want to yeah. go down that rabbit hole, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> there was a guy named Rob Cox. Rob Cox is like. Uh, a legend in the Muay Thai community, uh, a British guy. He had a gym in the UK, has a gym in Thailand. Uh, and one of the first, or only for him to be allowed to take pictures at the original Lumpini, Roger Durham, like, I mean, he's pretty much as Thai, you know what I mean? As close to being a full Thai as you can get as a, yeah. as a, as a Falong, as a foreigner. And so he was commenting my fight. And as a foreigner, you know, and I'm big on the history and who's who over there and I want to make the right impression. So I remember I saw the lady, her name is Abigail. She's like my big sister. She was the liaison for the Sipmo child. Um, and I saw her talking to Rob Cox. Like, oh shit, that's Rob Cox. I said, man, did he, he, uh, did he, he uh, commentate my fight? I didn't know at the time. I was like, man, well, at least I put on a good showing. And, uh, oh, if I can go back for that. After I won that fight, I licked the ropes. And I licked the ring <laughs> because I wanted that in my DNA. I was like, yeah, this is the original Lupini. I wanted that in my DNA. Then I tried to kiss my girlfriend at the time. And she's like, this ain't happening. You for sure have a disease. <laughs> so when the rest of the trip, she was there, she damn near wouldn't kiss me. Because I remember I just licked. I like, I walked, tried to walk down the whole thing and licked the whole thing. And then I got to the bottom and like, I rubbed my gloves and I licked those. <laughs> but I just wanted that shit in my DNA. So after, uh, so the Rob, back to the Rob Cox story. So he's so well respected in the community and like as far as his photography and being able to commentate and all this stuff and amongst the ties. And he's been there in the golden, golden era of, of Muay Thai. Like he, he himself had, had some fights as well, was training there from the golden era. And uh, 
And I remember, <clears throat> so I would just think about that. Later on, years later, I don't think he did my other Lumpini fights, but years later, uh, when I fought at Max, he commentated the double knockdown. And after that, he gave me a job. And I used to make the joke about, man, I bet you regret this, don't you? <laughs> I would make the joke about the Lumpini fight. He was like, oh, mate, I re but I owe a lot to him as well. He really, really opened a lot of doors. But he, I think that was just ironic that from that moment, he commentated my first, and he would follow my career throughout and, and for the fights and stuff and give, you know, advice or whatever. And then it wasn't until, uh, because we were in two different parts of, like, I was outskirts of Bangkok, and his gym was uh, uh, on the other side of Bangkok, by, by the uh, Dung Mung, by the, uh, by the airport, the mm -hmm. other airport. Um, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. so completely opposite. I think it was two hours out of Bangkok and then went even further out in some of the other camps. But, yeah, so that's how the Lumpini story led to uh, Max. the Max Muay Thai. But it was after that fight that got me, uh, that got me noticed. For people who can't comprehend Lumpini, how would you compare it to just say another boxing stadium, another fighting stadium? Like what's the equivalent? I'd have to say you'd have to look at it like Madison Square Garden, but then magnify it by 10. Um, at the time, I don't think any American at the time had, had won. And I don't even think many had fought there. To be completely honest, I don't know if I'm one of the first to ever fight and have success there. Um, Someone have to, no, don't call me that, but I don't believe that there were. And I think that was one of the big things because they were talk about uh, getting ranked in, being the first American to be ranked there. Yeah. Um, but just the, the, it was one of the oldest, the most prestigious stadiums. It's, <clears throat> it was the King's favorite stadium and it's run by the military. So when you go in there, you can't have any facial hair. You, you know, you see these soldiers around. It's one of the places where they allow gambling. I mean, you know, you're going into the, like the, the generals, the military, it is that stadium. And, you know, they'll tell you, they'll shave you. They'll tell you, you have to shave your face. If you have long hair, they make you cut it and a buzz cut. I mean, everything is very strict. But when you walk in there, for me, I just thought about all the great foreigners who had come before me. Uh, uh, actually, my, my sensei from Holland, uh, Ryan Simpson, Ramon Deckers, uh, Danny Bill, uh, the list goes on and on. And I was thinking of, see, if I had, maybe if I had been from a country like Ireland, the UK, Australia, it wouldn't have been as big because their history of Muay Thai is a lot greater than what America had. You know, the, the, the Muay Thai in those countries are, is, is and I, you know, people always think I'm hating, but I'm just telling the truth. In, in those countries, it's, it's, it's a lot further along. The history is a lot further along than it is in America in terms of uh, us going to Thailand, yeah. if that makes sense. So for me, it was just like thinking about, wow, man, I'm, I'm here, you know, uh, and I kind of felt sort of like, man, I'm carrying America on my back. On You know what I mean? You know, like, I can't fuck this up. The same thing with the sit which I'm like, fuck this up man I'm gonna fuck it up for maybe a lot of other people I'm the first foreigner and I'm an American I'm like they could have chosen an Irish a British a, an Australian or someone from another one of these a Frenchman from a lot of countries who's more experienced or you know has a greater history I'll say mm -hmm. and uh but when you walk in there you just feel this aura of I it's hard to describe it's like an aura of greatness 
it's 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 it, it, I guess it would be the equivalent of being a powerlifter and walking in the West Side. You just feel this like holy shit. Don't fuck up now. Yeah, like you're just amongst greatness. Just you can feel it in the air, and so you walk in there. You see the the pictures of the champions. You see the gamblers. You see the the concrete slabs where everyone's sitting on, and then it's like you can feel the heat. You can just feel the. I don't know if there's any other way to, 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 to describe it when you walk in there. And then in the back, you have the little metal pole uh, where they wrap your hand. You stick your hand on the metal pole. There's no real locker room so people can back there, smoke cigarettes, looking at you. you could, you're next to the guy you might be fighting against. Um, I remember I was... I, I had just had my, my underwear on and I'm just like, I just put my tie cup on around it and I'm just shadow boxing with my hands wrapped in my underwear just to say, I want to be like, man, I'm going, if my guys look, cause again, I didn't know who my guy was. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I want this motherfucker to think I am batshit crazy. I'm rubbing my hand, I'm like rubbing my hands on the, uh, on the uh, ground. Then I remember I went to uh, uh, take a piss and uh, there was a guy next to me. So I was like, I didn't know if he was my guy. So I remember I took my elbows and rubbed them in the urinals. <laughs> I was like, these motherfuckers are gonna know I am mentally unstable because I'm trying to infect them when I get out there. Because I didn't know, so I'm nervous. So I'm trying to strike fear, get any edge I can, because I'm nervous as shit. So I remember pissing, the guys looking next to me, and it's like a spur of the moment thing. I was like, yeah, this fucker's never seen this before. So I rubbed my elbows in the urinal, <laughs> and the crazy thing is, the guy just looked, didn't phase him. He just walked off. That's like. Maybe that's yeah. not my guy. <laughs> well, I mean, but like, it's a sense of it's just a that's phenomenal. A feeling of greatness, and the reason I stopped fighting there three fight. The reason I stopped is it closed down. <clears throat> so I was one of the the last to fight. Never got into the only the regret I have is the only two regrets I have is not fighting Lithway and not fighting a Roger Dermino. And to be honest, I'm never I've never been a Roger Dermino. Really. Never been in, never fought in there. My dream, like I said, was the Olympini. Yeah. And to try and make a name. And, and you know, I got, you know, close and then did some good things there because it was just that there's nothing to describe. I felt like it was, it, it was hard to stay motivated fighting after the Olympini had closed. Did, how much did that catapult you? Like Lumpini? Yeah, you fought over and now you, your first fight in Lumpini. Is it like, like a little bump, or was it a huge increase? In, uh, in the, doors, the doors opened tremendously because at that point it was like, man. And but like I say, I had also the benefit of being an American, so I stood out. Yeah, because at that point there hadn't been any. You know what I mean? It wouldn't have been. I don't think I would have gotten accolades and done the things I did have I would have been from. You know, and I always reference you know Ireland and you know your home country, and I don't think people realize how great of a Muay Thai history they have there because a lot of them go to Australia. So yeah. it wasn't like Australia, Ireland, uh, uh, do you say the UK or do you say Britain? Uh, Britain, fine. UK, same thing? I, I can't really give probably the knackered answer. I'd say it's all the same. Oh, okay, like well, yeah, this over there, yeah. uh, France. So it was the fact that I think being an American, there weren't many of us. Like I said, it was myself, Cyrus, and it was, uh, Matthew Semper, and he was really doing Matthew was mainly doing it big in the, in the South. But um, to that, there's a a big difference in what you guys did in that you lived it as a Thai, experienced yeah. it as a Thai, compared to those who would 
transplant in, transplant out. Oh, right. We actually stayed there and put our boots on the ground and yeah. made it. I wouldn't have been able to get to where I got had I not, like, been there. You have to put your time into, I, I would have never even got those opportunities had I not, like, endured and said I'm not c coming back. But I also, uh, you know, like, I tell the story of my mother and, and, and my other brother. I remember I only had enough to go over there for... Uh, because uh, I never used my degree and I pissed that away, basically. Yeah. Uh, I was just really smart. And, and, you know, you can get scholarships and things. It's smart. Being, I, I, I pissed it away. I never really, I worked a little bit for like maybe half a year, probably. And uh, pissed, pissed it away. I was like, this ain't for me. I actually was working in a nursing home. And I remember watching someone uh, talking to an old guy and he passed away. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to live my fucking life. Yeah. And I'm like, this is because you was in the... In, in, in the hood and you were seeing people that weren't visiting their people. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like maybe this is how we all turning out. Fuck this. I'm going to live my life. And, uh, that changed me a lot. But, uh, back to, I think we're saying this, uh, yeah, I, I had, I had to, I had to live it. You, cause if you don't, but like I said, I don't think, uh, I think being an American helped me a lot. We're getting that big bump after the Lumpini thing yeah. because, you know, there had been, there had already been French champions there. There had already, there had already been Irish guys to fight in there. There had already been, or Irish UK guys, uh, Australians. A so a lot of uh, Russian too. Like the there was there was a couple of Russians fight, but not as much. Like yeah, it was just the fact being an American that I really, really stood out. And also, I don't even think they realized. They kept thinking when I first went over in the night, they kept thinking I was Danny Bill from France because they never knew. They didn't even oh, know black man. people lived in America. So they were like, oh, him, same, same, Danny Bill from France. It's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm from America. They're like, okay, okay, Danny Bill, same, same, France. I said, man, why y'all keep saying that, man? They were like, they don't think there's black people in America. I was like, this, what kind of shit are they on, man? Like, yeah. And then I said, like, whatever, man, I'll be from wherever the fuck y'all want me to be from. Just, just, just keep training me. What's amazing is their marketing, right? They're looking for some angle all the time. They're always looking for an angle. And it's, um, that blew me away of how they promote fights. Yeah. How every fight was fight of the year, fight of the night, biggest uh, fight of all time. Always. Uh, but that shows how many people go through. Uh, but Lopini wasn't like that. Well, because it was the Mecca. It they was the Mecca. You were there to fight. Yeah. And I had to make, and they don't care about any, one thing I like, they don't care about the hoopla. Like, uh, one fight I remember, I didn't make weight. The boss of the camp, he liked us to come in a little overweight, like maybe, uh, so kilo, so... <laughs> See what one kilo is two point two pounds, pounds yeah. something like that. Um, so he liked for us to come in maybe like uh, one and a half kilos over. No, not one about yeah, so about three pounds or something like that. Yeah. that. And you get on the scale, you'd be over it, so you'd have your power. He didn't want you to suffer in training, so you get on the scale, you'd be overweight, and you put your son. Nobody cared. They're like, okay, you're overweight. So if the other guy's on weight, he can go refuel. You're off weight. So what you do is they just put your stuff on. You go run around the parking lot. And there was sometimes we run around, both of you guys miss weight. You literally run around and you might be talking to the guy you're going to fight that night. It was a really daunting, it was like, wow, this is a different atmosphere compared to what yeah. the U.S. is. People getting docked their pay because I learned they don't give a shit about anything but the fight. What are you talking shit for? You look stupid. What are you concerned about the weigh-in for? Nobody gives a shit. Nobody's paying to watch the weigh-in. So you miss weight, just go out there, run your ass around, get back on the scale, make the damn weight. All we care about is you showing up and performing in the fight. Yeah. Then that, that for me, that was one of the, that's what kind of killed me from like not understanding how the U.S. and the MMA and all. 
It was so much hoopla based around everything else. And then when the fight's over, the best thing in the world, nobody wants to fucking talk to you. You win. They raise your hand. Get the fuck out the ring so the next fight can come on and go back to your camp and let's start the process again. I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world, fighting Lumpin. They were like, all right, let's get in the car. You fought good. We're going to stop at McDonald's for your treat. And we're going to go back to, on the way back to the camp. And that was a treat. If I fought good, we go to McDonald's. <laughs> and then we go back to the camp. You'd rest up. If you weren't banged up, you'd fight a couple of days later. I actually think I fought the next Lumpini fight was maybe a, the next week. Wow. This is, and that's the best thing in the world because it's like, it takes the, your sense of over-importance out of it, like the ego. And the other thing is, it's standard for them to take 50% of your purse, uh, which for me wasn't a bad thing. I mean, because but they also you also get, a let's say, a level of protection uh, because the big boss has some power, so I really got a sort of level of protection. Can can you explain? <laughs> I, I think people are hearing big boss. I potentially, I've got no idea what big boss means. Can you maybe just give a, a quick overview of how most uh, Thai gyms work? Oh, so you have the what's the, the the gym owner or big boss. A lot of times he'll be a, maybe he fought his youngster as a kid or it'll be a family gym. Um, he'll take over. Sometimes he's maybe uh, a general or a military or something involved, but he has a lot of power because the military, the underworld, uh, all kind of go hand in hand when it comes to Muay Thai. And so you also, so the big boss, then you have his wife, which is mama of the camp. Now, mama really has the power, but, you know, everybody thinks it's the big boss. But the mamas always loved me. So I was always good because <laughs> they always loved me for some reason. And uh, so when I say the big boss, like, has protection, maybe he has police friends or other things like that. Um, for instance, for me, when I would, I break my hand or, or, uh, because I, I, I would always I would break my hand a lot because uh, the first time it broke, I never got it fixed. So it would just, you know, it would always like break from time to time. And uh, so they'll take they'll take care of you. Yeah. Um, if you get in tr maybe if you get in trouble on the outside, like uh, they'll make things go away. Uh, for me as a foreigner, I know you're only as allowed to stay in there th 30 days in the country before you have to go. With the visa room. The, yeah, so sometimes my passport will go to countries that I wouldn't go to. So I <laughs> turn my passport over and my passport would make a trip somewhere and return with a stamp on it so I didn't have to miss training on the visa runs. Yeah. That wasn't always the case. But those are the type of things and the benefits that being sponsored or the big boss uh, will take care of. Cause you'll have that kind of power. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll hand him your passport. He'll, you know, especially if you're training for a fight, you know, you give him the passport. A couple of days later, your passport comes back and it apparently it's traveled to Vietnam or it's traveled to Cambodia. And now you have the stamp <laughs> and you haven't gone anywhere. So like I tell people, my passport has been to countries that uh, necessarily I haven't been to. or it's, it's traveled on its own. I've traveled and my passport has literally traveled by itself without me attached to it. Which is not necessarily a bad thing because those visa runs are not what I don't think people understand. You might be going down a bus, you know a boat trip, those. Um, a very methed out, let's yeah. just call it what it is, methed out drivers driving and in these that van. Then you pull off into an area that you have no idea why Did you feel for your life every time you got on one of those vans? Okay, I fear for my life every time I went on my little Hello Kitty scooter. There was, there was, <laughs> as I was telling the story. Could you explain the Hello Kitty scooter is normal? Like over yeah. here, people, you tell people about a Hello Kitty scooter, they think yeah, something's when, wrong with you. When you go in, the first thing that they offer you is a scooter, and you're like, 
of course, I want this big, like Thailand too is the only place I ever saw signs for drive safe, drive fast. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and um, you go get a scooter <coughs> and you just think it's just a, just a regular scooter and like, hey, can you drive? And like, sure. Like there's yeah. no test. They're like, you could have anything. I had a student ID that was my driver's license. They don't care. Like, yep, sure. Here's your keys. They go. Shit. And then I look. And the first thing everyone gets is a Hello Kitty decked out scooter with floor mats, Hello Kitty, Hello Kitty. So, yep. and uh, I'm like, is this just me? But every foreigner who comes in basically ends up on one of these Hello Kitty yes. scooters. And I'm laughing at that. Like, they had no power. If yeah. you if you had a five degree incline, it's like yeah, yeah. they're not going, and you end up just just pushing it the whole way up. Yep. Um, yeah, it was like everything about Thailand. You have to quickly figure out what there's the no there's no guidebook. No, like it's it's uh, the people are so nice. They're oh, like they're most, yeah friendliest in the world. They're exploited to a point, but when you start to understand, like when you can go fish, like at Big Mama's, you go fish. Mm-hmm. You bring back the fish. If you split a 50-50, they'll cook it for free for you. You give them the 50%. Yes. And then that's when you start realizing, like, okay, they're very family-oriented. Like they're, yeah, very they're, much so. And um, they're so used to people taking. When you start giving, it's very yeah, it's strange. Very to abnormal them. to them, yeah. Yeah. And um, that's why, like, I felt like the, the night market was just the... Blew me away. Like, you... Everything. Like, you have to haggle... You see absolutely everything you don't want to see and stuff you do oh, want to see. Oh, that's true. Yes. Um, I only went down downtown Phuket once. I couldn't okay. do it. After that, I couldn't couldn't handle it. Didn't like going down there? No, I was just too... I, I remember out of all of us, maybe about 50 or 60 starters, that yeah. beginner's ring. And at the end, there's maybe like four. And I was asked the coaches where they're like, Phuket. Phuket got them. I'm like, what? The nightlife. Because when we drove down to Phuket, it will get you if you're not. I, mentally I parked prepared. on the where the red line was. Oh shit! And then I come back, the scooter's gone. Yeah, you yep. got to go pay your fine. Yeah, yeah. Said too, if if you stick out like a sore thumb, which I did because I'm whiter than white. Uh, a cop will go, you pay your fine, you're good, and you keep your ticket, you're yep. good for the day. And then the following week, they catch you again, and I'm like, I'm gunning it. And then they just like left fire. They just don't care. Like, no, 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 no. They're yeah. just just like up. Oh, because life is a very different this thing over there. Yeah, yeah. They don't. They don't care. Life, death, like. Uh, well, you know, they can fight out. Of, get your way out of prison. Oh, yeah. When I worked at Max, we had a deal with Sing Pathanoon Prison, and the prisoners would come, fight. So the COs would corner them, and they would fight. And uh, one of them uh, was the global belt. So I worked four days. <clears throat> I worked a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the Saturday show. And the Saturday was like so. The big shows were Friday, Saturday. And then the Sunday with the mask, that was like the tie versus the foreigner. But Saturday is what they, is how they decided what tie would fight. So it was a four-man uh, tournament. Only ties could be in it, and they would get the, the, the champion's belt is what it was called. And that was my favorite night, personally, because yeah. the gambling was huge. It was tied. And the best thing about it was there was no alternate. So if you had 30 stitches in your face in round one and you won, you better grease that up because you're fighting in the second round. There, no, that was the best thing. It's like there was no alternate. No. You were fighting. If you didn't fight, then the loser was fighting. So if both of y'all were fucked up, whoever was less fucked up was moving on. Um, but we had, so the weekday, we had, uh, uh, Wednesday, we ended up creating a global belt down at Wood. And uh, I remember Senior, what's his name, was one of the champions uh, from uh, St. Patanoon Prison. And uh, Could you fight your way out of prison? Yeah. And so that's what he would do. He was actually, he was a prisoner, but they would come 
and the CO would corner them. And they would fight. He won the belt, and they would go back to prison. Well, he was the champion. I think if you did well, uh, you would uh, um, uh, you could get out of prison. If he did well and prayed and behaved in prison. But it was ironic. There was a guy uh, uh, um, who was famous for, I think he was on a show, I think it was a prayer movie. I never saw Prayer Before Dawn or something like that. Prison movie, but... Uh, one of the ties, he was in prison for, uh, I think he had killed 13 something people, but he was a big prospect and whatever. They thought he threw a fight. And then so he ended up like uh, uh, um, going to prison for the for the murders. Like he had to make money for his family. So he became like a hitman or whatever. Yeah. So he won prison fights and got free. He used to come because he actually had a gym. So I guess after he got, he became a monk, you know, and everything. He actually had a gym. He would come to Max. That's and bad. corner people, and uh, I think at one point he had a guy, this was ironic, and I would learn this from, because uh, I got to be around so many great historians, the guys I work with, Kevin Umled, uh, I hope I pronounced his last name right, uh, he was uh, Thai Norwegian, but mostly Thai, uh, uh, the most knowledgeable person when it comes to Muay Thai, I mean, he could tell you what somebody was wearing from the 19... 65 uh, Lumpini Championship fight. He can tell you the color of their shorts. I mean, he just knew everything. And then Rob Cox, uh, all the promoters, the top promoters I got to be around. Uh, uh, Matt Lucas. They were just, I got to be around uh, uh, John Walcott. So many great people that knew so much about Muay Thai. But yeah, so Sua, uh, the, 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 the guy I was telling about, was uh, um, cornering the guy that fought uh, Senior. The other prisoner. Damn. It was amazing, yeah. and you can you can fight you so you can fight your way out. So that was one deal that we had because uh, I, I you know our boss was really really a good guy, Mister White was really really politician, really powerful, but like really he really cared about the guys. Like he actually told me I, I before the double knockdown I fractured my uh, and I'm just kind of like reminiscing now going through nostalgia here. Uh, I had broke my arm some fights before and it never healed properly because, you know, you get what you paid for. So because they bet a lot of money on me and it was an underground fight that nobody was supposed to fight anyway because the king had passed and I was in Bangkok and I remember I was at Eminent Air training for a fight. The king passed away. Everything got shut down. I'm running out of money. And then I, I remember I, I had just enough on my phone on. I had one of the uh, uh, top up phones the time some call and I remember uh, uh, I had just enough and I remember calling a buddy of mine and he was like to the bot he was like okay this is what you're gonna do there's a fight it's underground fight if you can get down here to, to the south man where you can get you on this fight I was like what the fuck he's like yeah, yeah man look man you need some money so you're gonna have to do it. I was like this is all I have left you know the people emanated you know there's no fights what am I gonna do I was training for a fight the king's pass he was like okay this is what you do how much you have he told me, he was like, okay, this is what you're going to do. You can't go catch the bus from where you are. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to walk about a mile. Then once you walk, then you're going to get on the on that station. From that station, then you're going to catch, to go from that train to the side of my bus station. Once you get to this, you're going to get off of there. But you can't get off. You got to get off at two stops before because you're not going to have enough to go all the way. You're going to get off and you're going to walk about another mile to the side <laughs> of my bus station. When you get to the bus station... You're going to have just enough. You're going to buy your ticket down there. It's going to be about an 18-hour drive uh, on the bus. Okay, you're going to have enough for that. This is what you're going to have. You're having enough for a bag of chips, a snack or something, and a drink. 
And when you get off, you're going to have just enough when you get it for the cab to get here. And he, it was right down to the bot. <laughs> and I remember walking, and there's a video on my page that I put up, a famous me walking barefoot through the uh, through this flood and this puddle of rain and the alleys of flood because it just my luck as I was leaving, it just started a downpour in the alleys of Eminent Air and Bangkok. You know, Bangkok streets, they flood. So it just started flooding. And I was like, man, I'm not spending this much time on the bus with some soggy-ass shoes on. So I'm like, fuck this, man. I'm just, I got feet like a hobbin anyway. I'm like, I'm just roughing it. So I walked down the alley, just my feet, just in my bare feet. And the letting this clean, I wasn't worried about stepping on needles or other things. I was more worried about like maybe some kind of fucking cobra comes, swims up there and tags me or something. But I was like, fuck it, what am I going to do? So I walked down there and I never forget to the bot. That's how I made it down there. I, I had enough for some chips. And I would like, I would space them out for the ride. I would just eat a chip, fight the temptation, wait for like maybe 30 minutes an hour, eat another chip. <laughs> just, and I would like take a cup full of water. I would sip the water because I didn't have enough for the whole ride to get anything else. And then that's how I fought. I broke my arm. And then in that fight, and because the gamblers and artists, and it was um, very underworldish, uh, uh, had a... Uh, they didn't pay me. They're like, here, man, they're only giving you half the money because they, they, they didn't think you were going to lose. I was like, man, look at this motherfucker, man. Like, this is fighting. Like, there's no guarantees in fighting. The motherfucker kicks hard. He broke the shit. What do you want me to do? And then, so they gave me enough. And I was like, look, man, this shit is definitely broke. And this is how they checked. I remember sitting on that ice cooler in the back because he broke it in the early in the first round. I tried to go as long as I could. And then uh, he kicked, thank God, not in the same thing. So it didn't. So it became like more of like a hairline fraction went all the way through. So it didn't compound and stick out the bone. And then he kicked it again, like towards the elbow. And I was like, oh shit, my arm. So it went numb. And I just thought it went numb. So I started running in a circle and he get close to me. So I just started trying to elbow him and kneel. And then the ref was like, pick, you know, I pick your arms up. Like he separates you and he's like, my arm's dangling. He's like, yeah, pick it up. I'm like, I'm trying, like, I was trying to like shoulder swing it up there to get it. He's like, this is over. And, uh, so you sit in an ice cooler on, on you know, like a cooler you know, yeah. for picnics. I'm sitting there. A guy comes out with a cigarette. And I shit you not. He's sitting there looking at my arm, holding it. And the ashes are dropping on my arm. He's like, broke, sure, sure, broke, sure. <laughs> then he puts it out. This is the weirdest thing about that night. This is why I believe in curses and voodoo and all that. Six other fighters on that car got their arm broke. Same night. Six fighters. To this day, I'll never forget the six fighters. Because I kept hearing the thing. I was just, So he just got like, oh, broke, bro. I said, shrap, Then I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So I'm getting more and more nervous. Because before every fight, whether it's your first or your 300th, you're always nervous. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on, man? Like, are they sniping people out there in the crowd? <laughs> and six fighters got their arm broke. And then remember, we go to the uh, the hospital. Now, I have, I think, 3,000 bucks they gave me. You get what you pay for. I got a little bullshit cast. And like, don't get it wet. So I have to go back. So I so now I'm going to another gym in the South. I'm like, I can't go. I don't have enough to go back to Bangkok. So I'm like, oh, fuck. And uh, and I'm embarrassed. I had this Australian sponsor. That's a whole other story in Australia. And I'm embarrassed. I don't have, have enough to call him. And I'm like, I'm not calling this guy for shit, man. I'm like, I just lost my fight. Fuck this, man. I'm too embarrassed. So... I'm like, all right, I, I was like, all right, I know it's camp. I'm just gonna go there, stay at this camp. Another good camp. And I was like, I'm gonna go there because it was a trainer from legendary sit old thing. I was like, yeah, if I show up, he'll always take me in. And so, I remember showing up, uh, 
And they were like, go stand in the ride. I was like, just drop me off at the, bu at the uh, bus station. Because this is all night. One of these ramble hops are all night. So now the sun's come up. So I haven't slept from the fights over and everything. The sun come up. I got the bullshit cast. And I'm like, don't get it wet. I'm waiting for the bus. What happens? It starts raining. <laughs> so I remember covering this shit up. And it, so the cast never healed on my arm properly. So the arm never healed. So to fast forward this story, uh, uh, that's when I ended up... Uh, and Max, I ended up, uh, this, that was a few fights earlier, I ended up refracturing it. Like, the hair, I had another hairline fracture in training. And uh, the, that's when I go back talking about how the big boss was such a good guy. He was like, because you have to show face. So if you pull off a fight, it's not like here where you can just say, I, I ain't fighting. If they put you on the poster or if they put you out there to fight and you punk out and you ain't fighting, uh, it's called losing face. The boss lose face. And it's a yeah. huge thing that you know about that. It's a huge thing to lose face. So, like, these guys, a lot of guys would get killed the way they pull out of fights in the U.S. Like, you'd be just found floating in the river. Um, so they made me go into the office and to the boss and everything, and they were like, and, and they, because they couldn't get extra, I'm like, I, just, I think something's wrong with it. And I could just see the look on my boss's face at the time, and they were great people. Like, you know, and this this was a camp. It was invite only. It didn't even have an address. We were yeah. all sponsored. That We had to fight on Max. Like, it was invite only gym, like plain and simple. You were like, we had uh, a buddy from uh, Wales who was one of the top fighters uh, in, at the time. I mean, uh, a British guy and a bunch of ties and lay oceans there. So, um, and I could see, look on his face and I was like, after I left, they were, but they were, they were like, well, I was like, look, man, I'm, take, I'm taking this fucking fight. You know, like. I remember going back and the trainer, the chairman was like, okay, what do you want to do? I was like, nah, nah, man, nah, nah. He's not losing face. I'm taking this motherfucking fight. Because the boss had basically told me, don't worry. If you snap it, if it breaks, I'll pay for you to get it fixed. He's like, don't worry. But they didn't. what they didn't realize is like, I could just see the look on my boss's face. I'm like, nah, he's not losing face, man. I'm taking this fucking fight, man. Yeah. Fuck that, man. Like, they've done a lot, you know, for me. And it was a history because they knew the people from Sipmo Chai, the family. So it was a lot around like this. Nah, man, I'm fighting. So that's how good the guy from uh, the big boss of Max was. And some other stories, he was a good guy, but <laughs> he had a lot of power. He was a politician and uh, he, he, he had a lot of power and, and got a lot of benefit from being there. So the fight, the double knockout. Oh, yeah. How, like, how did you get back up? Like, were you coherent mm, when nah. you just literally just wanted to get to your feet? Was that to your goal? Was like get to your feet, or did you just have no idea? I tell people the story. I don't, uh, I don't know if I tell you about. So you guys getting off first, just because you know <laughs> I love y'all here, man. Uh, believe it or not, I actually heard and broke Kevin's voice. Like, get up, man. It seemed like forever. I didn't know what was happening. I don't remember the fight because he hit me with something. Uh, and it was the first time like, I represented Thailand. Like, the red corner is Thailand. So, yeah, I got to, you know, I felt like it was like a, a, a reward for all my, like, years being there, all the sacrifices. Like, I got to, you know, still come out on the Jumbotron with the American flag. Yeah. You know, so I felt like it was like a, a, a honor twofold. I got yeah. to finally have the American flag, you know what I mean? And, like, be like, this is cool, but also be in Thailand's corner. So like, look, an American's really done yeah. it. Merging you know, two nations. Yeah, I paved the way and I finally done it. I finally get my flag on the big screen, the jumbotron on this 
at the time, Max was the most viewed fight at the time, you know. I mean, it's not as big as Little Penny, but I guess the magnitude of the fight became bigger. And uh, to be in Thailand's corner and then have all these, there were legendary people in there, all these people in there watching the, the fight. But I don't know, he hit me with uh, something. I wasn't even supposed to fight him. I was supposed to fight another time named Smink Dom. That's why they brought me in there. Because I was essentially retired and it was... <laughs> Uh, Chandrit said, oh, who, uh, you might remember him. He was at Tiger Lines from the legendary Sid O camp. Uh, little dark-skinned Tyler built like a bowling ball. He used to wear the do-rag all the time. Oh, you probably yeah. will remember him. He probably came to an India stint, but he was from the legendary Sid O camp and was just legendary. So he never trained me up until that. We just, he was just always like, just, just cool with me and following me. And then he came with the idea like, oh, you know, when uh, they asked him to be the trainer of this camp for the Max camp, they add, they were like, oh, they would look for somebody, I guess, like Smink down there, like, oh, Dorian, he's, you know, ting tong, like not right in the head. He's, he'll fight <laughs> anybody. He doesn't care. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, yeah, he's in the car. I don't remember uh, anything about, the, like, I remember touching gloves. I remember I threw a right hand, and then that's all I remember. Cause I don't know what he hit me with knees or something. And then everything. So everything that I, every time I watch it, I don't remember doing it, any of that stuff. And then, like I said, uh, I got down, I knocked down and then I, that's the only thing I remember. I just hear my brother voice saying, Hey, get up, man. And then, uh, I got up and I remember cause I knocked down and I, my corner. So you can see me look old. I looked at him. I didn't know what's happening. I looked at my corner and I just remember seeing everybody like red. And I was like, oh, I'm red. And they were all like jumping around, raising their hands. And I'm like, oh, shit, let me raise my hands. It would have been hilarious had I would have lost. Because <laughs> that's what I didn't know. I just seen everyone raising their hands, like jumping around. And I was like, wait. I remember not can recognize faces. Somebody, Luke Barr in the corner. I was like, oh, shit, raise your hands. Everybody's raising their Raise your hands, too. That's when I raised my hands. And then finally, I came through. I was like, oh, shit, I actually won. Could you believe how viral that went? No, because when I kept driving back, I remember going in the back and it was like this. I remember saying like uh, to my buddy, uh, uh, Luke, I was like, uh, uh, they started taking my hands off and I'm like this. Oh, fuck, I lost. And they're like, no, nah, you won. Then I remember going, uh, uh, we took the scooter back to camp and I kept tapping him on the shoulder like, hey, man, where you going, man? The stadium's that way. We got the fight. He's like, the fight's over, bro. I was like, oh, fuck, I lost. Because you don't remember <laughs> anything. So the first thing that comes to your mind is, fuck, I must have got knocked out. And he's like, oh, no, bro. This is it. You're going to be surprised. And then uh, we were, <laughs> I go back to the camp and uh, this, is the funniest, this is the funniest story. The next day, uh, this tie had brought in some people from, what the fuck is that country? Uh, Estonia. It was like an Estonian national team. And these guys are, they're, they're lined up. Like, <laughs> they're literally lined up. And the, uh, and I had got some weed. Now, weed wasn't legal at the time. And so I had gone in the bushes and I'd been to bed, smoke some weed. So I snuck back in the room. Now I get pregnant when I'm high. And so one of the little boys is like, hey, you got to come out. The... Uh, Mama, Papa, once you come, I was like, this, oh, shit, I'm high right now. Like, <laughs> this is going to be bad. Like, what's going on? Like, I, and I looked out the room, 
And they're literally lined up like, they're here to meet you. I was like, what the fuck is this shit? So <laughs> I, I walked down the line shaking these Estonian fighters' hands. It was the weirdest shit I've ever seen. But then after that, we was also partly staying in the camp and uh, I was standing in a trap house. <laughs> uh, uh, but I never, I never knew how viral it would go. Uh, Cause I remember I went to the after the camp, I was like, oh, after the you saw like, all right, I'm like, all right, I'm going to the I'm going to the trap house. And I'm like, just so I could get away from everything. And just hide out there. I didn't know it was you until like oh. I got like I watched a double because a double knockout very rarely happens. Yeah. And then I'm like, no, can't be Dorian. And then I'm like, holy fuck, that's Dorian. I thought he was because I thought you were retired. I'm like, I thought I was retired too. <laughs> Before that, they did convince yeah. me out of that. And um, I was like, it's just. We'll try to get a clip in on this podcast. It's just one of the most amazing things to see is to see you get up and you put up your hands with the funniest shit ever. Like, you're just like... <laughs> I didn't know what was happening. I'm like, I did it. Look, Looked over there. <laughs> Do you want to know the funniest thing? Do you remember the knockout with the Ramon Deckers and the other guy? Black oh, guy, Ryan Simpson? Yeah. It's another, that's my sensei. And he was the first person to call me. We just started laughing and talking about it. In Holland, like... Well, um... So that's I, to me the most famous double knock. So after that, when he just started, and he just laughed and was like, and I had been training there for a little bit before the fight. So here's the point. I had a sponsor in Australia. They would literally fly me to Holland to train in Holland for big fights. And he would fly me back. That's and, amazing. And uh, he was like, I would just train over there in Holland. He was like, hey, look, whenever you're ready to come back, uh, just let me know. And then, you know, I'll fly you back. So there was times I fought in Europe. But I was like, I'm like, I just like the grind. This Thailand was just, you know, yeah. Europe is fun to fight in. It's, it's well glamorous, to, let's say. Um, and and good skilled fighters, but well, Dutch kickboxing, Dutch Thai is well, not in fighting. I'll fight in Slovakia, uh, a place like outside it, because I yeah. didn't want to. Because I told you, I don't really, I I, I kind of maybe regret. So I should say three regrets: not fighting in Lumpini, Raja, uh, or excuse me, not not fighting in Lithway. Lithway, of course, fighting Lumpini. Lithway, Raja, and uh, fighting in, in, in Holland. Not taking a kickboxing fight, but... Uh, what was it like trying to deal with their clinch? They didn't clinch over there in Holland. R Ryan, the, 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 the beauty about Ryan was Ryan was a legend in, in Thailand and in Holland. So he understood how to mend Dutch okay. kickboxing and Muay Thai because he was over there in the golden era with the Ramones and, and things like that. And that's what put him on the map was that fight he had against Ramon Deckers and beating uh, uh, Ramon. I actually did an interview with him where he told her, because uh, uh, we laughed about our double knock, that double knockdown thing. Yeah. But yeah, well, he took me into the camp. The hardest thing was the tempo. Just the tempo, the boxing, and then Ryan Styles very uh, angle-oriented, IQ, and uh, and when you talk about like a real, like he's like my mentor, brother, sensei. Like when you talk about like a real sensei and teacher, I never seen this before. He'd watch me shadow box and correct my shadow boxing. I, I it never thought it seemed like that. He literally will watch you shadow box and say, okay, you kick. The guy's not there anymore. He's over there. If you kick this way, he's not going to be there. He's going to be there. So why are you kicking? You can't, you, why are you facing there? The guy's there. So you kick, you stand there. Okay, if you're doing this, why are you this close? He's probably grabbing you now. You're, you know, you know, the guys, where is he up against the ropes? You're this close to the corner. Why don't you step? He literally watched you shadow box. I mean, when you talk about like, 
And he's a guy who was not only, you know how they say sometimes great fighters don't make, he's not only one of the greatest fighters, he's made great fighters and made champions. Yeah. And that is extremely impressive. Um, but yeah, he elevated my game a lot. Like, I mean, like to the point now, it's like going to like being part of a family over there now, the same way it was for Thailand for me. Um, it's also cultural over there in, in Holland to the kickboxing. Um, he wasn't more very much clinch oriented, but he was very like uh, footwork. He could switch stances, uh, uh, very intelligent, and they they very hard boxing, hard yeah. low kicks as well, um, which which helped my style a lot. But I, I, I like I, I would bring a, the clinch with me to to them, like uh, because I like to believe uh, the the best foreigner clinch I've ever met is a guy we both know, Johnny Betts. Johnny's turned out to be the best foreign clincher to ever uh to to the best foreigner clincher ever in my opinion i mean you knew him at a very young age when he was uh, very young. like to, to say i knew who he was who he was okay yeah. he he was uh he has developed now into the best foreign clincher i mean he he's so impressive but i like to think that my clincher is is as good as as well yeah so i was able to bring that over to holland um and help but yeah, I really been like lucky. Like, so I mean, it was more Ryan would always say he didn't want to change my style. He just wanted to put a little bit of his style into what I already did. And he always knew I would be going back and forth to Thailand, like what? as opposed to staying and fighting consistently in Europe. To kind of bring this in to how we met at West Side with Matt. And this is a to get all this backstory is important. Because I learned so much from you because strength conditioning really wasn't a thing. Right. It was to where it's like you would run, you'd do that. But in terms of actually lifting weights, but you, you could see through your experiences and everyone would talk about, I'm like, well, weight training wasn't a big thing. Acquiring skill was a huge aspect. Yes. Like how much can I refine? Like you would go, okay, you got to sharpen your scalpel. Yeah. How much have you got to do that? And then that's when we started to pivot training. It's like, oh our strength training should be all about giving you the opportunity to acquire more skill. Right. So how can I make you healthy and strong enough to keep training, keep training? Absolutely. To, and that's what we were figuring all this out in real time. You guys turned me into a tank at one point. Do you guys remember we, that? We, Nobody oh, yeah. believed I got to 200. I, <laughs> yeah. And I had, I actually had a deadlift. You did. And um, I mean, we, we, had, we had a hell of a group. Oh, the, the team was incredible. Yeah. I mean, if we could have stuck together, I mean... It was because um, it wasn't just the everyone had a purpose of figuring this out. Like Matt was the nucleus for all of us. Of course, yeah. Um, and we're figuring stuff out for him. But as a byproduct, we're figuring out stuff with each other. We're yeah. figuring out how to talk, how all these different disciplines. How you had a wrestling coach who wrestling was life. You yes. had jujitsu coach who jujitsu was life. Yes. And then you were so like placid and like, hey, well, like here's Muay and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna let you all figure it out. I'm just gonna go over here. Yeah. <laughs> and then we start we started figuring out how everyone would talk. And then I would get with Matt. I'm like, Matt, can we get on the schedule? And then Don't forget Louis Matt, and Matt's Matt is like, Yeah, Louis I got I've got awesome. a schedule. I'm like, I know you have a schedule. Yeah. But, um but bringing it back to the gym, I would pick your brain and then you would train in amongst everyone. And I could see you starting to click with like your love of the deadlift started. You're like, which was very bizarre to, of all that. But the accessory work, the stuff we would do with bands, how we yeah. bring in bands, we're like, no, no, no. 
um, this is how you should do this exercise. So whereas a bodybuilder would be just like doing a lap pull down for an example, yeah. would be doing it, uh, executing a particular muscle sequence of activation, picking your guys' brain like, okay, we have to, if you're doing a clinch, well, yeah. you're not going to do a rep, you're going to hold. Yes. And then you'll see like Rogue came out with this ball, which is very like a head and like, okay, this is how yeah. you would hold. So we're able to put our sport, like not too much SPP, but we're able to put the sport and like, okay, here's how you actually do the rep. Yeah. And um, when we do rows, we'd hold for a second, for yeah. like two or three seconds, because in real life, you're not going to be fighting like well, this. A lot of that was the fact that you had the experience of, of Muay Thai as well. Like I, a lot I, of some coaches don't a, have that. Mine's a very, very, like a very but low level. a lot of don't even have that. It's, and we had Lou. We had yeah. you. We were able to pick from everyone. Yeah. And then like Lou would just, I remember we were all talking, Lou walks past Matt, stops, doubles back, pokes right in his obliques and he's like woof yeah <laughs> and we're like what and i remember matt's like what the fuck and we're like um basically that was his way of like you better work in those fucking obliques. yeah you're soft <laughs> <laughs> and um so we're like okay we'll have to come up with some sort of exercise for that yeah but all those experiences of all the disciplines because we used to live together yeah so all these tangential conversations we'd have watching tape just talk i mean driving down to cleveland Yes. Like those, uh, remember the chili? Yes. Remember the hot the hot chili powder we got from Victor and you took a, a little bit? Remember that? Oh, that was fucked. Yeah. Yes. Uh, like just these like oh, funny little chili. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, but all that, I don't know, it was distilling in my brain of like, okay, how can we pull all this? Like we've got so much experience. Yeah. Um, I don't think, hopefully, as time goes on, people are going to realize how huge an impact what you guys done for American Muay Thai is and how that's distilled into sports, but it's distilled into strength and conditioning too, through us. Um, like, okay, this is the angle of which we gotta do this exercise at. Yeah. And back to the way you said, Ryan uh, Simpson was watching you uh, shadow box. It was like, well, your, your shadow box is a purpose, right? Yeah. It shouldn't make it easy for yourself. Well, why would we do the same with our accessory work? Right. I don't want you to be the best deadlifter in the world. I want you to be the best at your particular art or your your discipline. Right. And our accessory work was refined based on our conversations, Matt conversations, the guys in the group, watching yeah. everyone interact, like how important shit talking was. Back to that family atmosphere. You might yeah. have people who didn't really see eye to eye outside, but internally, everyone had a purpose. It was like a family atmosphere, yeah. Yeah, was, like it was. Bicker, up, did, oh, yeah, yeah, like brothers, it was like a family Ups atmosphere. and downs, and then you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. And we'd turn up at seven o'clock to, like, to watch Matt train or do stuff, and it's 8.30, like where the fuck's Matt? Yep. And then you're like, oh, okay, we may have got the days wrong. And then been able to just see you and even when you're down to strong style, see you guys interact, to see you do clinch work down there. And you're like, yeah. dude, it's just crazy how much this is distilled into the system of training we have for fighters now. Like the three day a week training wasn't a thing until we all got together. Right. Because back to Matt's schedule, I want to Matt in because of the four day template. And yeah. Matt was like, I don't have four days. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, well, how many can I give you? I can definitely give you two, maybe three. I'm like, okay, let's work with three. Yeah. We can definitely yeah. do three. And um, we brought in the, the double dynamic effort day. Yeah. And um, then every time Matt would go, like, okay, we would, I would always have the training partners. Yeah. And going back to what you said, and even this podcast, you said to me is like, okay, I have to get him to a level to force me to raise another level. Yeah. And then Louis would do the same thing. like, well, 
make them stronger than Matt. So when he comes back, he has no choice but to. So yeah. we would work with like so when Matt go off to a camp, we'd have the guys, and they became super strong. Yeah. Like to where I remember Matt comes in, I was like, "What are you fucking deadlifting?" Yeah. And then, but it forced like that little group to go up and. Yeah, right, yeah. I think uh, we all met the Chris Cope fight, and then yeah. we had a. Uh, different fight camps in between and then we we happened to, to click because like you're in Thailand and I'm like hey you ever know you ever go to the Tiger and you're like oh, what the fuck do you know yeah, about Tiger yeah so I was like the first, the first camp they had me come over there yeah and um then it's just all the people like with uh, the coaches he'd bring in because he'd yeah. bring in uh, like Kazek I met uh, Beecher through that uh, like yeah. Adam Sabato Carlos Cavallero um like we're able like to just flying still, back from Thailand. yeah and then <clears throat> but you're like my translator because you had all the little things like well Dorian how are we going to put this into the gym and then you would want to get into the gym because every time you get a taste of weights you're like oh man I'm going to work in this deadlift I liked it and the wheelbarrow <laughs> yeah that the, was the best thing for my clinch I think yeah. we discovered how much the wheelbarrow carried over yeah and then there were some things we realized oh we have to make this nothing like the sport we have to make it completely general yeah and it will carry over because no one in the right mind will think, well, how is that wheelbarrow going to your clinch? Well, then you realize the grip work yeah. and all that it was working. Um, Do you think like, sometimes like we actually became your experiment a lot of times to get us prepared for Matt? Like every, by getting the, us stronger, like, okay, I'm going to experiment on these guys. So when they go to Matt, like he's, they're going to be that much stronger, that much. Because I realized how much like stronger I was getting in the clinch. I, I had actually no like go strength for strength. Because Louis was like, show me what you've done. Nah. Because you're allocating time. And like, I was allocating a lot of time. Right. And nowhere else would the boss leave you. Just go. Right. But I would make it up in the back end. Right. Um, but there had to be purpose. Like, where is this going? Mm -hmm. And then Matt was obviously having that, that seven fight streak up until the Lawler fight. But even at that. he got robbed. <laughs> um. But up to that, like understanding how people work together, understanding where strength and conditioning was in the totem pole. Yeah. Like it was important, but it wasn't as important as fighting. Right. Right. It, it, anything that helped you fight better was great. But watching what we we're doing and watching if Matt could spend an hour in the gym or an hour doing clinch work, well, like I could clearly see how clinch work can help you win a fight. Yeah. So how can we adapt training to be able to do an hour and a half? Like, can we affect that? And then we started with, then John came on the scenes. We started un understanding joint manipulation. Like, how do right. joints work? How, well, having healthy joints will help you be more athletic. Yeah. And um, all this was just happening in real time. So it's very hard to, to be in and go, oh, we're creating this thing. It just happened. Yeah. And then all you guys started getting really strong. And it wasn't because we're trying to get really strong. Everyone was just, the competition was there. And I you go knockouts going back to time after match camp from being what? here. Yeah, I mean, I was strong. They were like, "What the hell have you done?" Yeah, and it was just pretty simple. It was just, just yeah. general, general training. And then that's when we realized, though, it doesn't need to be this complicated thing. You don't have to do well. This exercise is going to make an exercise is just a tool. Yeah, it's like we understood we have this toolkit. Let's pull out this tool. It delivers force into your body somehow. Does it carry over? And the best thing with everyone, and especially Matt was the feedback given was brutally honest. Yeah. Like there was no, and that's Matt what you need. Sugarcoated. If something mm -hmm. didn't work or he thought like, what are we doing? Yeah. You better be on point. And then having Louis the other side, you're like, like why are you doing that? That's too complicated. Yeah. Like just because True. you can doesn't mean you should. And 
I didn't realize how much the system had evolved until we had coaches come back who were there at the start. Mm. Like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, oh, this is how our fighters train. Like, oh, this is... And you forget, because with Lou, you couldn't write about it until you're here for 10 years. Like, that oh, was his right. thing. It's like, hey, you need to be immersed in this. Right. Um, and it's all about Westside. Like, everything we did was like, how do we better the club yeah. in this athletic angle? Because football has been touched on, but like really the fighters and he loved fighting. Yeah, Louis loved um, it. Like, dude, the time he ran out of the office and wanted you to smash that him in the face. That was the funniest shit. Then he came in there and smashed the phone. I got Louis riled up. There was times Louis and I couldn't be because we would get each other hyped up. Yeah. I don't uh, get Louis too hyped. <laughs> he, he was like, dude, I, I can't look Dory in the eyes. I, I, I just know where that's going to go. Um, but it's, uh, it's amazing that just by having conversations, just like general conversations would lead to deeper things. Yeah. And uh, the amount of stuff you did with bands, even when you're traveling and just sending quick messages like, hey, what yeah. do you think about this? And um, I love the band stuff. Yeah, but like, I mean, it was all, that really wasn't done before. Like it's more mainstream now because people have their own interpretation. Of, and, right. And it was great to see people taking the conjugate method of training and stuff they got from here or from listening to Louis or reading the books. Right. But to see what we were able to do when Lou was there and for him to, well, especially let me yeah, to make as many mistakes as possible, knowing that if I make too much of a mistake, I'm going to get my ass kicked on this side and he's going to win, see me get my ass kicked. So either way, like Louis wins, puts, he always puts himself right. in that position. Yeah, um, I just think it's an important part because that, that three-day system wouldn't came around the importance of volume Mm -hmm. in a short space of time for speed work came around. Yeah. The importance of deadlift, of a sumo deadlift, and it's like yeah. that carrying over to jumps, to the accessories, how changing the thought process of how you do an accessory, mm -hmm. just like your shadow boxing, like, hey, do it with intent. Put your sport into what you're doing. Don't do a lap pull down yeah. like you're a bodybuilder. Do a lap pull down as if you're a fighter. Yeah. As if you're a grappler. When you took the personal training cert, you're, do you remember going through that or to uh, to where like, hey, you think I am passing? I'm like, just do it like you did a Muay Oh, yeah. And then you just answered within your own sport and every answer yeah. was correct. Yeah. That's when I'm like, oh, this education is universal once you put it into your own sport. Yeah. And, it made a uh, lot of sense. I mean, there's, there's so much stuff that we got and I don't think we could have got it if you didn't have the experiences you had, if you weren't like living in the house and then working with Matt. Because yeah. we had to figure out ways to like, oh, how are we going to get this into Matt's camp? How yeah. are we going to get through Matt Brown science? Matt, that's and, the thing. Matt is just sometimes, he's just so smart. It's ridiculous. You literally have to trick him to get stuff because he, sometimes he's too smart for his own good. Yeah. It's like, so the thing we were talking about earlier, he literally made us better coaches because oh, of his intelligence. Like, 100%. Because if you try and give him, some, uh, throw something in there, you know, He's gonna break it down like, hey, look, you, you guys better make sure how's this gonna work. And he's gonna pick it apart. And so you better have an answer in the, for everything or why this is gonna be uh, effective. And it can never be, I think, like you have to know. You have to know. You have to know. You have to know. And um, yeah, like 100% uh, meeting Matt, getting to meet you guys then with Lou, you had to be objective. You couldn't just believe, okay, hey, here's what I think. Like, no, no, you have to know. Yeah. Um, two, Matt said a lot of things to me. Like, uh, I was not trying to cheerlead him on, but I was definitely on the verge of, like, I'm the coach. You should do what I'm doing. He was like, you realize like, I'm a pro athlete. Like, 
Yeah. If, if I'm going to half-ass this, I'm half-assing myself. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pushing myself to just, I'm like, oh, dude, I never fucking realized. And then I'll go back and talk to Lou. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, they're not a version of you. You got to treat them with their own personality. Yeah. So whatever the personality is, you better figure that out. Exactly. And that, that's how you train with them. A coach called Rick Scarpola has a saying is that um, you don't make the playbook fit the player. You make the, or sorry, the, the player fit the playbook. Mm. You make the playbook fit the player. And that's what training is. And with Matt, right. you're like, oh, okay, here's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have your structure. You try to put it into math structure. Then I would go talk to you. I talk to every other coach. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh shit, they're not talking. Then I understand the feedback loops that I'm like, oh, because Matt, there was no head coach. There's no person to no. transfer information to everyone. And I'm like, hey, Dorian, just so you know, there's this going on. And you're like, what? And then I go back and it yeah. might've been like the, you, Adam and Carlos is awesome. Cause I go to Adam, Adam's like, what? And I just like pass on this information. That's the funny thing. Matt never had a head coach. No, well, he, he tried to make me at one point. I'm like, hell no. The tie no, guy, man. He had a co-op. A- yeah. every, everyone it's added like, like by committee. It was no, <laughs> he's like coach by committee. Yeah. It was um and at the end of the day, he Matt would do what Matt wanted to do, and it was uh normally it worked out. At the it camps. worked out for him for the yeah. Yeah. Um because he had a very unique style and of every aspect of it. But yeah, like I I, I think it was because the fact that he was uh, a trailblazer in the MMA game and the fact that he searched out the best knowledge. When people talk about, you know, West Side, it gets no better than that when it comes to the strength and conditioning. Uh, not only me, but, you know, he then got exposed from me being around Kevin Raw, Sean Yarbrough, all the guys that I came around who I came up with, uh, he got to be exposed to them. So the, the highest level of Muay Thai knowledge you can get. And first time, most of the camp, his time, I was living in Thailand. I was based yeah. in Thailand. The only way I could come back was when Matt would fly me back. Um, the amount of wrestling uh, out in the Sabado, you know, that's, a, you know, gets no better than that when it comes to wrestling knowledge. Uh, Carlos Jiu Jitsu, he literally surrounded himself with the highest degree of knowledge. It wasn't like he found, uh, an okay BJJ guy, an yeah. average Thai guy, an average strength and conditioning coach who hadn't been proven. He found the best of the best. And I think that's what made him overall course difficult to train is because he soaked up all the knowledge from us over a long period of time. And I think as he got more into his career, he became a little bit more difficult because he became so smart because he had all, all the knowledge. And he was also the type of person that likes to read and expand, mm-hmm. his, you know, on, on the, the knowledge itself. So he would immerse himself in the strength and conditioning from guys that you, maybe you would talk about. And he, or, or the guys I would talk about, the BJJ guys. So I think like he was really a, 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 a trendsetter. And I think that's what made all of us all have to elevate our games. It's okay. because of how smart he became because a product of all the knowledge that he was surrounded by. I learned like more from him 100% than he learned from me because he would yeah. pull from that. And he would go to other gyms and train with other coaches and he would bring back more information. And I'm like, oh, this is yeah good because the way Westside is, we want to know what you're doing. If it's better yep. what we're doing, definitely want to know because we want to put it back in the ecosystem. And Matt's 42 and he's still fighting. Yeah. Like you're down here, you're getting ready for another, I'm not sure when this goes out, but the fact that the biggest test of anything is time. Yep. So at 42 to still be in the UFC, to still fight at the level he fights at. Yeah. Um, 
and to still be um, as mentally alert and sound as Matt is in the sport he's at just yeah. goes to show like like how much of a even though on one side he's a barbarian in terms of like he's just a absolutely. savage absolutely but he's that warrior in the garden you're yes. like this guy is like um brought us all together it was really the we've had like louis worked with randleman um <laughs> coleman wouldn't come in but you had uh, all these people come in and out but we really took from that and created this whole environment where now we're starting to write about it which is crazy it's like yeah, 2023 wow. now we're starting to really see how effective this is yeah we have these guys coming in like we've got grapplers we've got fighters and the speed at which they're getting better at is immense yeah um which all came back down to why we needed to get the backstory of you because us living together for that period of time whether uh, we knew it was going to happen or not it was just those stories everything kind yeah. of went in and those books you started looking at the uh the trigger point book you're like hey what well, wonder what this work and then yeah. you go with paper paper's like what the fuck is that Right. Yeah. I sit in the, when I come with you to the office and after the workout and I'll sit there and look at the books in the office. Yeah. And um yeah, it's just a, a huge part into what the the MMA and grappling style of strength and conditioning we have and the biggest pivot was when you need to be strong as necessary to acquire more skill. Yeah. Because you had so many fights, Matt had so many fights, all these I'm like, okay, well, how do we get keep you healthy? Yeah to go kick ass, right? Absolutely. Like strength helps, but if you have a level of strength and even more skill, yeah, skill is gonna just, because when uh, we went down to Pilgers one time, mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, I wanted to feel your clinch. Cause I'm like, I'm, you know oh, the way yeah. you see it? And then uh, every time I would try to engage and just like, just go all out, you would just loosen up and I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, and yeah. then you're like, hey, if you're gonna be like a rock, I'm gonna be like water. And then you said, yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, that's so smart. And I was so tired and you were like, like nothing. I ain't breaking a sweat. Did a rock and, and water now. Yeah. <clears throat> but you started understanding like, okay, this is where skill comes into play. Yeah. And if I'm going to be dumb enough to try to learn something, I need to be in shape enough to go over and over and over again. Right, because I've seen right. you work with athletes. I can't think of the guy's name, but you definitely swept them 50 times in a row. You came up for one of Matt's camps. It was over at, uh, it was a Buckeye MMA. You were trying to heavyweight. No, it was, Small it's guy. Stipe's? No, he was like, with Kazeka was up. This guy came in the town for one of Matt's fights. And, Pequeno? Uh, was it Pequeno? No, he was an American fighter. He was fighting in Bellator. And uh, he worked with you because I brought Louis over to see it. And all we heard was like, no. Oh. <laughs> and this guy, you like, get up. And as soon as he get up, like, come again. And like, down, come again. And uh, <laughs> Louis oh, like, I remember, I can get his name. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Lou's like, what the fuck happened? This? And then Kazeka comes over, oh, Doran's in a good mood. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, that was the young of me then. But, yeah, I just wanted to to get this story out because this really leads I'm into glad. what we're what we're doing now. Um, so what's next for you? Like, what? Uh, you're up here for Matt's camp. What? Yeah, for Matt's camp. Um, uh, and right now, you know, not sure. You know, I've been... Uh, Working uh, down with uh, uh, Master Lawyer Irvin, and, and I'm actually acquiring, he has so much knowledge in, in judo and, and jujitsu and, and his way of teaching, uh, and his shows and all the champions he's produced, like that are homegrown. Um, he's actually, I'm hoping to spend some time there with him uh, more because uh, he's actually 
evolving my clinch even more by showing me uh 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 really putting me into the into the judo yeah and showing me how how uh it can be applied while actually doing the judo things that you know that I never got to you know I was just so involved with the foot sweeps and you know but now he's showing me the different type of inner reaps or the different throws from different positions without the gi so that and then obviously you know Thailand's always calling me it's I, I, I get so many uh, offers there every day. It's like I feel like I spend most of the time on the phone in Thailand than I do in the U.S. I'm in the U.S., but half the time I'm talking to Thailand, so my sleep schedule's all the way all, <laughs> always off. But Thailand's like a drug. I feel like because I gave so much of my blood, sweat, and tears to the place, like it's like it, it, it has a hold on me. It's like, I don't know if I could ever. I, I think I'm going to have to die in Thailand at some point. I think that's all. I think that's all what's going to end up. I mean, I'm going to have to die in Thailand and scatter my ashes over there in, in, in the ring somewhere over there. But well, as much as I want to stay, I like, I always say, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. And then, you know, next thing you know, I just pop up in Thailand. But whatever happens, I do hope and wish that your lineage, style, and everything gets passed on. I know it's in through Matt, but you have a lot to give out. Yeah. And hopefully if this podcast episode can get a little bit further out into uh what you can bring to someone's game um i think there's too much knowledge there not to yeah not to be delivered in and um to just to I thank want, you i want to do one off if i just like the gym thing be kind of difficult like unless in that one off because I got a unique personality. <laughs> if you have a weak mind, it's not gonna co it's not gonna mesh. I got to deal with like like with with with, with fighters. Like yeah, because that's I have a unique savage mentality. So like, if, if you don't share the same mentality, I think that's why Lou and I got along so good. Why I get along with you with Matt, we all share the same mentality. Yeah, well, the the same hunger for success, right? Yeah, for we want not just us; we want to see others succeed. Yeah. Like that's the the big thing, and the the lack of you couldn't survive if you had an ego. There's just no, no. there's just no way. As much as I wish no. you could, in some senses, the other way is like it, you just can't. When you're well, around if you people, had a soft who, mentality. Oh, or just, like, or we just talked about like you have to develop thick skin real quick. Yeah, you wouldn't have made it. <laughs> like, like, like real, real quick. Um, <laughs> Uh, like a text message could be taken out of context real quick. Then real, you go, real quick, if that, you yeah, if yeah. you just had like a didn't have thick skin, you were not going to make it or a soft mentality. Oh my goodness! Anyway, Dorian, I appreciate the time. I appreciate and, uh, you, brother, as always, man. I hope this is one of one of a few more, and um, I wish you the very best and everything else. You Thank do. you, brother. Mm -hmm.